we should be having public dialogue and it should be something that rises to the level of legislation. We should not allow the National Institutes of Health or the Department of Defense to allocate funding to amplify these agents so that allegedly we can study them in the case that they fall into the hands of bad people. Because the evidence has shown us that the bad people who actually have unleashed these pathogens since 1991, and by the way, if you go to Miscellaneous Memorandum 7 and other documents, we can go back to the 1950s. The bad people who unleash these things on the population are us. It is the U.S. who's doing it. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Wednesday, December 27th, 2023. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you all had a fantastic holiday, Christmas, whatever you celebrate out there. I hope you spent the time appreciating what you have in your life. For so many that don't have the moment to appreciate those things or have those things to appreciate. And I hope that we took stock on what's going on in the world in light of the hopefully positive moments we shared during our, you know, mostly for the Western world, our Christmas holiday, which I personally, I very much love. And I personally feel that it, whatever your religion or whatever you choose to believe or celebrate that that season is something when people, and I think this is just because of how we've decided to act and, and speak to something bigger than ourselves spread, you know, the, the cliche spread joy and, and, and are, are more kind to each other. And it, whether that's the truth or not, I think that's something worth leaning into. So I hope you all had a great Christmas season Christmas with your family. Now I of course ended up, having too much fun, not even in the way you might think. I wasn't out there drinking. I don't really partake in really anything other than, you know, some cannabis, but ended up eating normally when I don't. And I literally spoke about it on wake up this morning, had like a food hangover. It was horrible. It's a, even in telling you that it's because I'm starting today with more of a health minded point in regard to a couple of different things. One of which uh, is based on appeal, that really alarming thing we discussed from Bill Gates, but that it was really very, important in my own kind of dynamic to realize how important that, I mean, I've always felt that health and diet are, are paramount, but how much that affected me really kind of blew me away. And I don't think it was just because of a, a, a keto carb kind of thing. I think it was just because I've gotten so good about being healthy in a really broad sense, whole foods, not the place, but the actual things of whole foods, you know, more natural concepts. And I felt a lot better for it. And just, and I'm not even talking like junk food. I'm just talking high, you know, sugars and, and, and heavy. I, I just, my body said, never do that again. And I thought that was very interesting. And I do think that most Americans and most people in the world, I don't, I say it from American perspective, because we're classically some of the most unhealthy people have really begun putting that above things they once hold more important. And I think that, you know, whether I I think ultimately our health has become very important to us. And I think that that's something that always should have been the case. And I think that we're going to start today with a point about health, predominantly around how that's being used against us. 
And it's an interesting kind of double-edged sword, right? Because we are definitely caring a lot more about what we put in our bodies and what we discuss and what we understand and the things we've been lied to about our entire lives. And now that is in its own way being used to drive us into accepting some new step. And it's always how these things tend to work. But what's so concerning is the whole digital infrastructure around it all and the, the fear that is always used to drive you into some new structure just like that. So we're going to start with a quick point about the appeal natural as they would call it uh what it's basically like a natural film they put over your fruit that you're supposed to be able to eat that we did a focus on that i wanted to start with I, I, nefarious is the word that comes to mind secret things that are being put on organic tags in grocery stores that when you remove the organic sticker it shows oh appeal is used on these fruits I just blew me away. And it's definitely something that I've seen. I looked, I saw when I looked into it, then we're going to talk about how all of that's being used to drive you into this digital infrastructure, which we all, I mean, literally everybody is aware of because it's not a secret. It's openly being told to the population. This is what we're going to do. It's for your best interest. And I'm going to show you again, why I think this is so nefarious, where it obviously is going and how, what concerns me the most is not even just this step, which is very concerning, but that this is just the beginning of something that I see building that is very alarming to me. And it goes well beyond the physical. It's concerning. And I wanted to make sure we highlighted that again. And just kind of taking stock, coming back, I haven't been as focused as I have been over the last couple of days, again, taking time to spend with my family, but make sure that we go over a couple of these other points, but also go over some broad, just following up information of Israel to finish the show in regard to the ongoing genocide in Gaza. And we'll see how much we get through today. If not, we'll follow up with it most likely tomorrow, but a lot to follow up on what's been going on, what the plans seem to be and how alarming this is as you see it all come together to see Pfizer testing or using an experimental or new product for an illness that was being discussed rising in Gaza, which is something we've already talked about. The concerns about what that may be, how it could be used, and for none other than Pfizer of all people. Oh, but we forgot it's Pfizer's lab. Isn't that what they told us it was in Israel, but now focused on Gaza in particular? And Pfizer coming back around to be in this conversation with something, by the way, that interestingly overlaps what this drug is designed to do with a fungal problem they're discussing in Gaza with something that we talked about in hospitals during COVID-19. They blamed on COVID-19 Candida auris, as well as Candida albicons, alb I always want to say albatross, albicons that comes from your mask. And those are just specifics. There's more to it than that. But I find it very fascinating. So let's get into this and go through a lot of different information. Kind of touch base again. Get back into it. Three days. Oh, my God. That's a whole lifetime in T-Lab world, right? So let's start off with a important shout out to some work that you might not have seen. I really hope that you've seen this. Something that we've had building for a while now. One of the first reasons this, that, so for the podcast, we put out the interview, which is just absolutely outstanding. Taylor deserves every single ounce of credit for this outstanding interview with the late Arna Burkhart, pathologist, doctor, professor, probably one of the most, I mean, of all the people that I've seen in this conversation who deserves your respect, he's probably one of the least known. And it is, he's, it's just, it makes me very sad that I did not get to meet him because he is clearly, was clearly one of the most 
somebody that let the, his integrity guide him and clearly going against the grain to do what he thought was right. This doesn't even get into the discussion of how he died, which we may end up discussing in the near future. Because quite frankly, I have a lot of thoughts about it. But ultimately, what we wanted to make sure that the focus of this was his amazing work and just how important this was. The absolute decimation of the narrative around what these COVID-19 injections are doing. He proves that they're, like many others have done, are killing people without a question. His own work, he's one of, before he died, was one of the most respected, well-known pathologists in the world. And he was retiring and he came back out to do this work. Now, this was a lot of work. Taylor did this herself with multiple cameras and ultimately ended up taking a, a while to get it done because it was a huge product project. And then the, the ongoing genocide in Gaza started taking place. And I made the choice to pull back on this for a minute because I did not want it to get buried, which, of course, she was frustrated by. And, I, and rightly so, because everyone was asking for it. And, of course, there's all the absolute brainless fools out there that acted like we were lying about it somehow, I guess. which. I don't know why that would ever happen, why somebody would be dumb enough to pretend they have an interview that would never come out, which would then prove that you lied about it. it. seems pretty stupid, but I guess that's what stupid people do is think of stupid things. But ultimately, we had a whole kind of thread of people out there acting like she made this up and it wasn't happening. But this was his final interview before he passed away, and it's very important. And again, I, I, have, I definitely think this is reigniting a lot of this conversation. It is, it is gone far and wide. Entitled Pathologist Arna Burkhart Final Interview Revealing the Grave Dangers of mRNA Vaccines. And just on Twitter alone, it right now has over 130,000 views just on Twitter, which frustrates me because I, I wasn't even advertising the Twitter. And that was where everyone seemed to go, which is just the sign of the times, which frustrates me. But Rumble, I think, has like 70, 80,000 views. Even then, I just kind of feel like it's more than that on most of these. Any, in any case, it's out there. Everybody, by the way, from InfoWars to you name it, shared the work. And surprise, surprise, they actually, well, they included the link, but in the article, no no shout out to T-Lab, of course, but that's how it works. But, you know, in the past, you get a lot of this kind of spread of work and it doesn't really get the right reach with the source material and so on. And I do think this is getting out there, but I think this is as viral as things get, like James Corbett's talked about, that we're just in a different time where this is around the world and back. And this is what it looks like when you're suppressed in the technocracy of the current day. In any case, make sure you don't miss this. Very important. Now, I wanted to make sure we saw this. Now, in, in this, again, this is the larger conversation around all of this. And this does not just have to do with the mRNA vaccines. I mean, that's what the focus of the interview is about. But in my mind, the point of where this all goes is much larger than just the injection for COVID-19. This was a test, an experiment. However you want to look at this. This was a stepping stone. That's my opinion, but I think the evidence is clear. So this, not necessarily completely interconnected with that point, but when we start to get into the concept of nanotechnology and, and different overlaps, it, it becomes, I guess the point is whatever nanotech we're discussing, which was utilized, the lipid nanoparticles within this injection, and then finding out that those that in themselves are contaminated, those themselves are actually even to the point to where have other ingredients we were unaware of, all sorts of stuff. The point is, well, what are we talking about when it comes to appeal? Well, same kind of concept. We're talking about newer, like nanotech type of technology that could include any number of different things that you're unaware of. Now, I'm not saying that these are the same thing. What I'm saying is when you're stemming from the same kind of people that have their fingers in all these multifaceted areas that all weirdly seem to kind of intersect in certain areas, we need to start asking whether there's something else going on. 
doesn't always prove that they're all interconnected, but they could be, and it concerns me. And bottom line is I did a show about this. Gates Weth-backed edible coating for food already in use, because it was. This was April 20th, 2023. Now, as this becomes more and more prominent, as usual, you'll probably find the larger ones out there start making a big point about it. But as usual, demonstrating our value of how far ahead of the story and many others we tend to be, make sure you take note of that and recognize where the source material will still be found when all these larger accounts scream about it. But what's interesting is this is a video, which I'll play for you, of an, a simple organic bag of apples where she pulls the sticker away. And what do you know? Lo and behold, it says the appeal, the Gates appeal applied to these underneath that sticker, which shows you that the place chose to do that. But I find it hard to believe that Kroger made a unilateral decision. I'm willing to bet you that if you go and do this work, you'll find it pretty much covering this wherever you look. In any case, it happened here. And it makes me very concerned about why one organic food at all would include something that is very clearly not organic. I don't care if you're using natural, you could make anything quote natural ultimately you, you use natural substances to make plastics. It doesn't make them natural in the organic sense. This is what we're talking about here. They're trying to pretend like this is just an organic artificial peel. It's just it's hilarious to me how they're trying to, it's sort of like ESG, but pretending that nuclear weapons and oil and gas are still compliant if you're the U.S. government using them, which is literally what they're doing, the U.K. as well. But I said, I discussed this in April of last year. The simple fact that this is being covered shows a deliberate effort to hide this from us. Now, why would that need to happen if this is supposed to be some positive thing or ultimately if it's supposed to be something that we all accept as safe and effective? Gala apples. Oh, it's all about the Fuji apples. Come on, lady. Gotta prop it. Can I just flip? Because I want to keep it continuously recording. Right, I can't see it, but hopefully y'all can see me. There's a sticker. Are you kidding me? Now, here's the thing, though. My, obviously, the point to make is, you know, somebody could lie, which is why, obviously, she's like, I'm not going to cut the shot, but who she could have stuck that there, right? The point for me, whether or not you, and, I, and I've, I've, I look into this briefly, and I'm, I'm seeing other examples of this. My point is that, well, this is clearly a bag of organic, simp the apples, you can tell. I mean, that we anyone that shops here, you know what those look like. That's definitely the appeal sticker on there or on the bag itself. So how in the world do you overlap organic with anything like that? Well, this is the this is where we get into the world where things become what's the right word for it? Where they they are it's it's the very concept of technocracy in general, acting like well these things are now basically trying to argue that this thing is organic even though it's not natural because of some bastardization of the the terms what we understand Right. It's like passing some law that says that, well, artificial intelligence is now a real human. If we, you know, that's where these things tend to go, the mindset. And so here they're selling you something that you should look into that has a, not a, a artificial fake layer over the fruit, which you ingest, which I did work, I did research on, which shows that there are definitely things that are not safe for you as much as most of these things are like that. Generally accepted as safe does not actually mean safe. Are you kidding me? 
took off. It's there. I'm so grossed out. Thanks, Kroger. And then the last point to make is, you know, maybe you think this is no big deal. Well, you know what? Whether or not you think it's a big deal, what I do think is a big deal regardless is that I have a choice. And that is taking that choice away from you. Just makes me really uncomfortable to think about what else is going on. The, my, the And we're talking tiny things here, guys. Think about how much, much bigger these things get. Now, watch the show. I I make the point when I go through this to say, look, this is not some bombshell, you know, dioxin PFAS, he's Palestine kind of concept. This is like, okay, well, here, it's not the earth shattering, but you read this and you're going, well, this is not, there's a side effect here. This has some kind of an effect. Like bottom line is it's not the way they describe it, where it's just benign. Might as well just be the skin of the fruit, which is the way they try to sell it to you. It's very much not. And it definitely has artificial things that definitely have byproducts that definitely cause something beyond the natural eating of an apple and so on. I just think that's so incredibly unnerving. So make sure you check that out. Share this with people. If you see more examples of that, send it to me because I really want to understand the overlap and then why more so, well, rather who is doing that, right? Is that the company putting the sticker on or is that somehow being done at the store level? Very, very unnerving to me. Now, this brings us into the larger point right? About where all of these kind of control mechanisms go. Why are they doing all this? What is the ultimate point? Now, the most basic surface level point here about health is control, right? Now, an appeal cover on fruit doesn't seem to make sense for control, right? Not at first, and really maybe not at all. The point is it's about, you know, these kind of things are about trying to control your health and what you think you need. Okay. But then when you realize that this goes beyond I don't know, having a, a driver's license where you can say, yep, that's me. I can prove it. We're safe. We're, we're all on the same page. Okay, well, then it gets into the realm of a digital driver's license. Well, it's safer, I guess. You can't lose it. The government can check. Okay, well, this doesn't even get into the realm of how that can be used against you. But my point is to take this even further. Now, this may be a stretch for some people that have maybe new to this, but if you guys have been watching this show, the stuff we've talked about, the Whitney and I long-term in-depth conversations, you know where this ultimately goes, where literally it is already taking place. The smart dust level, the nanotechnology level. By the way, we passed that a decade ago, and yet we're still looking back at cameras and robots. Like we are left in the dust right now. The level that they are at is so far ahead of where our minds are currently focused. I was saying this the other day on AM Wake Up. It's not that they don't still use cameras and don't still have motion sensors and these kind of things, right? They exist. And in some level, they always will until we go so far past it. My point, though, is that if we're fixated on whether there are cameras or listening devices and we're missing the fact that they're using Wi-Fi 3D mapping in our homes, well, you're, 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 you're at level one and they're at level 47. And we won't even understand how to get to level two. You, you get what I'm saying? Like we're so far out of it. So what I'm talking about is the idea of how these things can be used in sophisticated ways in regard to tracking control and so on. And this gets into the idea of how your health using the fear of a pathogen can drive you to make choices that then position you in a way where you're either beholden to them for X, Y, and Z health infrastructure, or you're literally a, the ability to be able to be shut off in some manipulated way. We've talked about the kill switch. We've talked about the different nanotech manipulations of, let's say, what you can and can't do, whether you are like, we've what's the one we just talked about? Not just the kill switch, but the idea, oh, that's what it was, of being able to turn off your insulin. 
all of a sudden they just, you, you have this, the nanotech in your body where all of a sudden these things can be executed to shut off your, and these are not hypothetical. Now I'm rattling all this off while you're staring at this page. So somebody new may think this sounds crazy, but we've talked about all this before. We've gone over their, their NIH studies. We've gone over the Lieber-Langer overlap of all of this different work they've been doing for 15 years or more. So this is where it gets really concerning for me about how all this intersects. Now, back to this article you're staring at. Derek Rose and I talked about this. Impending future of social credit, social impact investing, and digital IDs. So this, again, is the, is the surface level of where our minds are at. We understand the idea of social credit. Right. Here's what you did yesterday, and here's why now you can't buy this or enter there because you didn't meet some societal level that we argue is mandatory. Right. You said the wrong word. You voted for the wrong person. Like that's where this goes. Social impact investing, that's the ESG side of this. That is saying that, well, as a collective, you know, your neighborhood or this business, or even actually just individually, depending on how it works, did not achieve this or did not lower their carbon footprint enough. So now you have to be penalized. And then basically companies and people in power can invest in, basically you become a human casino, which by the way, we're already doing very clearly. But the digital ID is how they then trap you into this. You can then be turned off. But my point again is where this goes beyond all of these things. When this gets into the kind of dystopian future mindset, but let's talk about how this steps in that direction before we come back to end on this segment with the point that was making in the beginning about the smart dust eventuality or really the 10, 10 years ago point we already reached and then we're light years past and we don't even understand. But the International Monetary Fund put this out. Central Bank Digital Currency Virtual Handbook. Just want people to see, last updated last month, that this is not going away. This is not hyperbole. This is not conspiracy theory. This is in your face, literally about to happen when the time is right for them, which is the transition, whether forced or justified by whatever else into central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, not necessarily the same thing as cryptocurrency or blockchain, but they can be. It just means a digital currency backed by a central bank, most likely going to involve some form of the new technology. But nonetheless, it is coming. And when you have a central bank digital currency, let me see if I've got this still, I believe I do. Yeah, it's right here. Just straight from the really, really, really big horse's mouth. Analysis on CBDC in particular for the use of general, to the general use, uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today, we don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important, and that makes a huge difference with respect to what, she, to what cash is. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the main point, and this is what I was, we've been talking about for a while now, is you know, what actually shifted was the technological side of this finally met with the vision. 
And that's where we are, where these moves have been made because suddenly they're technologically capable of things they've been discussing. Right. And so what he's saying is, well, you know, we can actually use these and then we have the ability to decide what you can and can't use them for. And even more so then is where you get into the digital infrastructure for how we can then turn you on and off. So you, you, you can turn the money off, right? But ultimately you can still engage with the system unless your social credit score, like, and this is where it all comes together. We're rather the other way around, quite frankly, is that you do the wrong thing, that your score lowers. And then ultimately they say, well, you cannot use your money here because you haven't met this metric. Now, and this is what I'm trying to explain to people that maybe don't know this. I know you guys are well aware for the most part, but this is not even debatable. This is what's coming. Now, they argue this is not. Now, what we're discussing is a nefarious government kind of, you know, has nothing to do with what's in for your safety, what's in your best interest or the interest of society. It's about control. The only difference that they're saying is, no, 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 we're doing all those things for you. <laughs> That's the only difference because we're not. I mean, you just heard him say it from his mouth. That's what's happening. Now, you may come out and say, but, 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 Ryan, they wouldn't just do that because you expressed something they didn't agree with, even though we're literally watching that happen in real time all over the place, right? The only difference is they just aren't utilizing your the ability to, I mean, look at it this way, guys. I even take that, I didn't even finish it, but I take it back already. We've already seen them turn off credit cards. We've seen them shut down bank accounts. Not maybe to everybody anywhere breaking a certain rule, but specific cases. So it's already been there. It's precedent. It's already happening. So all that changes is suddenly now everybody has something that can be turned off at a master central location. And they just go, okay, fine. All you anti-vaxxers, you're turned off. Or whatever it is of the day. Oh, you don't, you, you think Israel's killing people? Turned off. You can't drive to school that day. You can't take your kids to work. I mean, it's, it's constant. And if you don't think that is happening, guys, they're telling you it's on the writing is on the wall. The writing is literally being sent to you via email. But this comes from the United Nations, uh, the UNDP. What does it stand for again? The digital. I forget now. Hold on. What was it again? It's the United Nations digital uh, public infrastructure. I know that's what we're going to talk about, the DPI, the Digital Public Infrastructure. In any case, it's the UN digital, the, the count for this whole push. And it says digital public infrastructure, which is the main point here, is essential for countries to improve their economies and well-being of their people. Not at all, really, at all. Like, in fact, the opposite. It definitely can benefit you. In no way is it a necessity to benefit your people. This is how they're trying to lie about this, which is, by the way, what Derek has been writing about for a long time. And this was. Oh, I guess I did forget to open that one. Hold on. I'll I grab both. I decided on this one, but let's see. Uh, there, there it is. First, since you're looking at this one, this is the, the I, I still can't. This blows me away that people, average people don't see this. And the New York, the, the NYU School of Law, July 17th, 2022, is when he wrote this article, they literally said, quote, the digital ID infrastructure, the direction you're taking will, quote, is paving a digital road to hell. I can't. It's just that's the NYU School of Law. It just seems kind of crazy that that nobody's paid, no heeded that warning or the point he discussed, the fact that they're pushing this very point that I just said. Digital ID is a human right. No, well, not not even remotely. I mean, it's it's you, all you're you're making that to 
the argument in order to force this on people that don't want it or the guys that by them saying, no, you're hurting your own people. It's the exact opposite. As he says, exposing the digital idea is a human rights scam. This is dangerous, what they're doing. And people are attuned to it. But what they're saying is, well, it's, an, it's essential for you to better your lives. Well, you know, isn't this the choice of the peoples, of their individual countries? Well, yeah, that's the illusion we sell ourselves about the way democracy works, even though none of our voices matter when it comes to this. Or 5G, for that matter, or any number of things, war. You know, but we all pretend like it's just the system and you know, vote harder and blah, blah, blah. No, there's so many examples that prove that we don't matter. We just love to pretend, or rather, the two-party illusion leaders love to pretend like it matters because it gives them power. But it says, join us for the launch of the 50 and 5 initiative to discuss how building inclusive, <laughs> inclusive digital public infrastructure. Well, isn't it the very point that it's public that makes it inclusive? You don't need to call it inclusive. It's just because they love the buzzwords. Can foster strong economies and equitable, equitable societies. These are the same people that are literally murdering people in real time, stealing from everybody that can has anything of value and disregarding any legal resolution that goes against what they want. But equitable and inclusive, guys. Rules-based international order, except anything we do. Shut up. Now, Derek writes, it's important for you to understand we see through the propaganda. We will not stand on the sidelines and watch you cram digital ID down our throats. We understand that some of you mean well, but you must respect our bodily autonomy and right to be free of the digital prison. So what you're looking at here, the 50 and 50, this is literally about the pathway to implementing the digital public infrastructure, whether you like it or not, is the subtone there. That's what's happening. 50 and 50, implement, and this is about 50 and 5, is a country-led ad advocacy group. <laughs> Why was the problem with that word? Advocacy group. By 2028, it says the 50 and 5 campaign will help 50 countries design, launch, and scale components of their digital public infrastructure, whether you like it or not. Well, that's what this is. Now, of course, there's, I'm not, I'm gonna, not even worth getting into. There's a really terrible website out there that constantly misreports, mis lies, and just misframes things. And that's where I first saw this, saying that they signed a, a, a treaty with Bill Gates. 50 countries signed treaties, Bill Gates. That's not really what happened. This is a Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Rockefeller, all these groups with these countries are signing on to, uh, to this digital infrastructure future of which the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is a part. Now, saying that they're signing treaties with Bill Gates is a, is, a, is a willfully ignorant misrepresentation of what's happening here. Bill Gates clearly is involved, and you look up our work about the uh, Derek's series about exposing Bill Gates. We're very aware of his, his, over, his work and all this, but it's, I think sites like that are designed to make the truth look ridiculous to people that might otherwise be interested, right? So just, we need to be pay, pay attention to that. But digital public infrastructure, it says, which refers to a secure and interoperable network of components that include digital payments, ID, data exchange system is essential for participation in markets and society in a digital era. Well, again, the point is only, it's only necessary or essential in a world that's designed that way. Now, yes, people love to pretend like this is the next step, the future, and it certainly might be, but you don't need to make it all or nothing. That's the whole point. It could be a choice, but never when it's a control structure or something about, you know, using this to dictate your lives and the well-being of people. Now, explain for me why digital ID in any way improves the well-being of people at all. Maybe convenience. 
but that comes with a lot of downside, doesn't it? And here's the main point that this is the executive director of the Ethiopian National ID Program. He says digital public infrastructure, such as our national digital ID system, is foundational to reach and deliver services to everyone in Ethiopia. Well, not really. You've been doing it. Well, well, you could have been doing it, save for the Western boot on the necks of your people, which you allow for your own benefit, right? Not this individual person, but the government I'm more speaking to. The reality is you don't need digital IDs to be able to give people what they need. You're pretending this makes it better. And mark my words, it'll only make it worse. That's the lie that we're seeing. But the point is, this is what this is really about. The digital infrastructure, they're building the infrastructure to have an, a global ID system. Starting with the national digital ID system, which could easily then just be merged together. That's what this is. It's And again... If you think that sounds crazy, you're not listening when they literally tell you this is what they want to stop terrorism, to stop uh, misinformation, you know, whatever they claim when really it's going to do none of that. Now, here is a clip of Efren Fangenson and Eva Blar, or I guess that's her tag i'm not gonna try to mispronounce i'm gonna screw her last name up i'm sure you're familiar she's the one that's been speaking about the the dutch farming and a lot of different things i'll we'll play this clip for you just to show you that this is this is new they're talking about this right now for the most part discussing th this as she says vaccine passports were a precursor to cbdc and digital id which will be used to dictate the parameters for participation in society including the imposition of personal carbon allowances none of which should be something that we accept it doesn't matter whether you think this is the right thing for a the at large, the greater good. It is not up for individuals to politically decide because especially for how easy it is for extreme extremist politicians to drive people's decision-making process to decide for everybody else based on what you think is right. You know, easily and how often that's used against us every single day. Take me to the next step of, okay, there is CBDC. What else? digital ID, where else are they taking it? So, so I, I what's mean, their vision in your eyes? The European Union has been extremely clear about what their vision was. Okay. Funnily enough, even when they spoke about digital identity years ago, in some of their documents, they mentioned vaccine passports as a precursor to digital identity. And then suddenly the pandemic hit. And that I was, was like, oh, ID 2020. Is that the the initiative you're talking about? I think about? so. Yeah. I think ID 2020. I think it's called. Yes. And okay. it was like, okay, here now everybody needs to have digital vaccine passports with a QR code in order to take part in normal everyday life. The next step is that it it's not just your vaccine data, of course, or your vaccination record. It's everything else. And why do we think that they are monitoring monitoring our carbon emissions Footprint, right now? Yes. Because well, you know, they're saying they're doing it to raise awareness. So. Uh, of course, nobody raises awareness for free. It's so that that information can be used and that you can be, again, controlled and monitored and limited in your freedom. So once that digital identity is there, combined with central bank digital currencies, if I stand here at the bar and I want to order a beef, um, like steak. a cheeseburger yeah, or a steak or whatnot, and I do that only with my central bank digital currencies because I have no other means of paying it, it immediately can register, oh, okay, this is Ava. She just ordered a, a burger. 
that is so many carbon credits that we are going to detract from her account. And next time that I try to buy one and I've surpassed my limit, it's just uh, CBDCs don't work today because you've surpassed your limit. Do you want to buy more, dear? Do you want to buy more credits? Yeah, and then they'll make money off it. And then they'll make money off if of it. If they decide to allow, allow you. Us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is, again, you know, it's... We're going to walk straight into a two-tier society, just like we did with COVID. And, and this time, it's it's going to be worse. It's going to be worse. I agree with you. And for everyone that may think that something we said here is a conspiracy theory, you should go to the WEF website and look for personal carbon allowance, and you'll find the document that they have about personal carbon allowance. It talks exactly about that. You You are going to be monitored for every step every transaction every consumption habit you have because it's all tied into the climate agenda they all speak about it super openly see so the reason for that clip guys i mean this is super surface level they're talking about open yeah my point is to show you that this is in the public mainstream conversation maybe not on cnn and fox news Right. Well, I mean, what's hilarious is they're not even like we still call them mainstream media, but it seems like the majority of people in the mainstream don't even like them anymore. It just shows you how broken all of this is. But my point is that everybody sees this. It is public. It's right in your face and it is coming. And you've got these people in certain positions with influence shouting people down for making very basic and obvious static objective reality points that you can prove. And it just continues to show you how alarming all this is. Now, one little point is to show you how this is used, right? We already saw this. We floated this during the conversation when the red, the, the uh, what is it? The um, red star tick or whatever that tick was going around. This is how the, they've proposed these kind of concepts already. And they just mentioned the idea of meat, right? Now this gets into the idea of the biotech overlap of it, right? But the point is that these are the things they've already discussed. Can we give you something to make you stop eating meat? How about we just start penalizing you for doing so? And these are, again, very surface level points. I think it goes way, way beyond whether they care about you eating meat. It is about control. Lone Star Tick, thank you. Two examples. So one is that uh, people eat too much meat, right? And if they were to cut down on their consumption of meat, then they would, uh, it would actually really help the planet. Uh, but people are not which, by the way, I wholeheartedly disagree with. I, I just, it's such a nonsensical point. It all comes from the idea that the production and, and their methane leads to the, it's just, it's such a ridiculous concept and I'm not going to go into it all now. I mean, we, even, even then it turns out that it's not even their farts, but actually what they're, they're breathing is more, and yet it becomes cow farts. Like it's just so dumbed down and ridiculous. And all that leads to this idea that we're somehow need to reduce the carbon, which, you know, it's, it's all an illusion and it in no way means we are not destroying the planet. The very people who are leading the one way to destroy the planet are the ones acting like that's so when you need to stop. It's an anti-human agenda at its core. Not willing to give up meat. Yeah, you know, some people will be willing to, but other people, they may be willing to, but they sort of, they have a weakness of will. They say, wow, this, this steak is just too juicy. I can't do it. I, I'm one of those, by the way. So, you know, but so here's the thought, right? So it turns out that we know a lot about, so there, we have these intolerance 
to, uh, so I, for example, I have milk intolerance. Um, uh, and there, some people are intolerant to crayfish. So possibly we can use hu human engineering to make it the case that we're intolerant to certain kinds of meat, to certain kinds of bovine, uh, bovine proteins. And there's actually analogs of this in life. There's this thing called the long star tick, where if it bites you, you will become allergic to meat. Or you can, is the point. It's not every time, but it's possible, and, it, and it's, it's, pretty, it's reasonably common. Uh, I can sort of describe the mechanism. So the, the bottom line is that that's something that was, it, and we saw that weird thing come up right around the same time. My point is, well, obviously, they've floated this many times about how can we utilize this to say, and the larger point is we saw during the COVID illusion how often things were used like this. The idea that it's like, well, why, we should just do this because it's the best thing for the planet. Right. I'm, I don't mean to give you an example. You all in, in a million different ways, these things that were used or floated, you know, why don't we just force vaccines for school? Because we know it's the right thing. Okay. So the point is about whether or how far they will take that line. How far will they go to just to take the action that they convinced enough people was the right thing for everybody? I mean, it's, it's all over the place, which I guess here's an important moment to, to include the thing we've discussed many times. Which is the, oh, let's see if I can find it. It's been a while. There it is. The idea of compulsory bioenhancement. Now, this gets a little bit off on a tangent, but the point on this is the same about what they might be capable of. This is 2019, simply saying that compulsory, forced, moral bioenhancement should be secret. Now, all it really says is this is to say that it's morally, morally preferable to basically force people to take bioenhancements like that, something that would make, maybe stop you from wanting to eat meat without you knowing about it because it's better for the world. They've made this argument a million times, guys. I mean, I shouldn't be facetious. I've seen at least three different studies, but I've seen this discussed more times than I can count about, well, we should just do this or put this in the water because it's better for everybody. That's, I think, where we're at, the level here. And whether those are actual arguments or just continually floating the idea that we need to think in a greater good mindset, I'll, I'll throw back to Corbett's excellent work from 2015 discussing what was called sesame credit, which still exists, which is the, basically the, the, the social credit scoring in China. Creepy new social credit, social engineering experiment. And that's exactly what it sounds like. It is social credit. Deciding what you can and can't do based on whether or not you are, you know, jaywalking or not, or taking too long in certain parts of the society like this is engineering for the benefit of the government under a guise about making society better. They don't care about that. So on the idea of social credit, let's first make sure, give you a couple of examples how this is not a new thing. It's been going on in China for a long time something that the U.S. government acts like they hate but salivate after and constantly take action in the direction of every second. James Melville points out, this is China, showing you that they're basically shaming citizens who do the wrong thing by showing their faces on a billboard and their IDs. As he says, dystopian, Orwellian as hell. So all you're seeing is these people's names with all their information just scrolling on the screen Here's what you shouldn't be like. Here's Joe who jaywalked yesterday. Don't be like Joe. That's what's happening right there, guys. That is the world, by the way, that you're already living in. Maybe you didn't know that. I'll show you what I mean next. Here is another clip. Social credit score in China. Just showing you what is happening. And this is not even a new video and is literally already building in this country. 
Thanks to advances in artificial intelligence and facial recognition, and a web of more than 200 million surveillance cameras. Are people bothered by privacy concerns? We think uh, a lot of cameras keep the safety. It's uh, really good. We can accept it. Companies are experimenting with the algorithms to help the government create the new national social credit system. And by the way, that's the point about the propaganda we get. No, it's good and safe, and we should accept it. <laughs> oh, thanks, corporate media. The bad guy China thing is okay. <laughs> that's that, that's what you get from that, really? <laughs> like, even though their tone is all dark and and it's all about recording and, and privacy, what they, they find the guy that's like, A-okay, from China. <laughs> this is so stupid. The government also has pilot projects. In one, citizens are required to do hours of unpaid work to get benefits. And scores are docked for things like littering, a messy yard, gossip, even jaywalking. Which, by the way, plenty of people, both on the left and the right, would love that. Video of but offenders. Of course, the things that they want, right? It's that same game, right? They love to go, yeah, censor them because they're dumb and we don't agree with them. Acting like that's not going to eventually come back and, and, and hurt you, right? Plenty of people we could give examples for. The idea is that if they, if they were the ones, they could be like, okay, well, you're not allowed to, like, you know, you can see how both left and the right have this perspective, but for, for different principled points, right? About the border, you know, I could go off forever about the obvious paradigm differences. The point would be that they would love this if they could apply it against their bad guy enemy American side, right? Like the, the, the left are the bad guys, the right are the bad guy. No, you're all Americans and your governments are the one pitting you against each other using things just like this is shown on the local news. And information collectors like Joe I. Nee are paid to report on their neighbors, her quota, 10 entries a month. Like the man who... Yeah, so tell on your neighbor, right? See something, say something, guys. That's, that's the world. Now, this, on a quick little side note, is exactly where we already are. Maybe you didn't, so, didn't know that. But it's not for what it's not for this. It's not for minor infractions of societal, you know, faux pas. No, no, no. What we're dealing with is stuff like this. And you may even agree with this. But don't miss for one second that this is the same thing. Are posters of Israeli hostages drawing awareness or baiting pro-Palestinians into getting canceled when they tear them down? Now, regardless of what your thought is about these posters or whether you should tear them down, you know, noting for how the obvious point that these are posters in other places of the world where no one's going to be able to see them and go, oh, I know where they are, which is the whole point of these posters or any missing person poster. So it's obvious to understand that these are for propaganda or just to go make sure you know this is happening, which, okay, like maybe you agree with that. Maybe you don't, but it's not, for, it's like the argument of saying tearing these down is like, because you're, it's the people tearing them down are by and large, in my opinion, because they know this is a propaganda tool, even if it's about real people as opposed to you're trying to stop them from being saved because you hate Jews. Like it's this very clumsy kind of thing that's continued to happen. Or because people think that these are about people that may, like there's a whole level of this. So let's realize that Israelis who have come back from Gaza are some of the ones that are most insulted about this, knowing that they are not trying to save them, knowing that they're killing them as they continue to bomb. So they are angry, which by the way, they've stated this. My point is that you're seeing these people get paraded around. Here are the here meet Joe who just tore these posters down and it's uh, the Eli Davids of the world the the uh, what's his name Elon Levy these are the people that are doing this doing this 
Here's stop anti-Semitism. This is all they seem to do right now, right? Here, meet doctor in a certain, you know, whoever her name is. She shared anti-Semitic things. That's what they're doing. Update. Here's this person. She's been fired from her job because, you know, and when you dive into it, it turns out what they do. Well, they said free Palestine on Twitter. Oh my God, what a terrorist. Right. But that's how this works. So this is the same thing, which society is rapidly leaning into, aren't they? I mean, you can go down and look. This is just all all it's doing. Cancel this person. Why? Because she tore down this poster, right? That she's been identified as this person. It's crazy. It is literally crazy. Whether or not you think they're doing it because they hate a certain person or not, pretty sure she has the freedom to do that. Isn't that exactly what you guys are arguing for? Like, it's just such a crazy invasive. And let's not forget, this is stemming predominantly from a foreign country's interests. And are you okay with that, Americans, that they're actively trying to get you fired from your job? For Like, and, and this gets really interesting, doesn't it? I'm, again, I'm not, you could decide for yourself whether you think you should do it or not. It's bad to take them down. It's not even about that, ultimately. Now, here's what's even more interesting. Is I, I, I wasn't sure if this was real until I found out that it was. This is being discussed from this perspective by lots of kind of quasi-independent platforms. Pal- Pro-Palestinian activists were tearing these posters down. Because in their mind, it's obviously propaganda, which is what it is, even if it's about real people, because these are people that they're actively not trying to take home. They're actively refusing hostage exchanges while lying about it, actively bombing where they might be. And many of them are already dead, who they, they keep putting these posters up because they were killed by Israel bombing per hostages that came home. So do you still think it's okay to put that person's picture up in New York City, even though we know the IDF killed them? Per hostages that came home and said that family died, or the Bebas family, who their their own father said on a video that they were killed by IDF bombings. So should we still allow those? I mean, you see the point? You can decide for yourselves whether or not that's the right thing to do. But to argue that it's somehow about hatred for anybody. My point is now they're putting these posters up and they're putting razor blades in them. Somebody, not every putt, everybody everywhere, because we're not dumb like that. We're not hyperbolic. Somebody out there is putting posters up with razor blades on them. So when somebody tears them down, they cut their hands. Now, what does, does that seem like something that would be indicative of how bad the pro-Palestinian person was or the other way around? doesn't matter what your cause. That's disgusting. I mean, it really is, guys. That's any case. The point is that this is happening and we are seeing a lot of this where they're showing people, dri- you know, trucks driving around with their faces on it saying this person's an anti-Semite and pretty crazy, I think. And you can look for yourself where these counts stem back to, who funds them. It's obvious. Now, back to the point. We were talking about this Orwellian future, which we seem to have some trappings of already. The point is that this is what China's already been dealing with or, or, or rolling out for a long time that the U.S. government, quite frankly, supports, in my opinion. And Israel has facilitated with U.S. technology over the years. It's a provable topic. Social credit. Right. So let's the point to bring this back around to where this is stemming from. So as we talked about using vaccine rather, actually, I should include this too. Eric's excellent work. And this is a part two, excuse me, or not a part two, but a a two part series. This one is called. The Rise of Authoritarianism from Parasite Stress Theory to Lockstep. Now, Parasite Stress Theory was a government study about what would it take to drive people to accept authoritarianism. And this quick point, they, they basically argue that a parasite, 
a pathogen, whether that's bacteria or virus or whatever you think, a pathogen of some kind, or rather the point they make is we don't even need something real. This is in their own study. All we need is the threat. And people will accept authoritarian government. Now, you are, it's amazing we can't factor all these interesting points together and go, maybe they did this on purpose to drive us into authoritarian government and accept their, yeah, shocking, I know. The point is that this is how they drive you there. And this is what I think was happening, right? So this is the reality. The idea of, and again, lockstep being the part of that larger document from the Rockefeller discussion, that they said, okay, we want to drive you into a digital infrastructure. This was the plan. It's been there for a very long time. So how do we do that? We use a threat of a pathogen to drive you into being so afraid of that pathogen and what appears to have been possibly nothing to accept us to digitally track your adherence to that passport. And let's not forget, long before COVID-19 illusion, ID2020 was floating around. Remember that? The ID2020 was about the overlap of your digital identification, at this time, not digital yet, but the identification that overlap with a digital infrastructure using microchips and different stuff stored with your vaccine information. That's what it was from the very beginning. People denied it at the time, but it was obvious public. Then in 2020, a defector, part of the group, spoke out on this right when they saw the overlap. They called it, quote, techno-solutionism saying that what they were doing was inter was using COVID-19 to drive this in, using immunity passports. It's amazing that we can't pay attention to the warnings when people in the FDA resign in protest or on and on and on. The point is she was part of this program of using your ID as a, as a tool to drive you into their control network. Then once COVID-19 illusion came along, they used the, the parasite stress theory to drive you into accepting it. She spoke up and said, this is techno-solutionism. They're manipulating you with these passports. And she drifted away, never to be thought of again. And it's still happening. Thank God we have enough independent media out there that put enough of a pushback on this to where it didn't, didn't just roll right over the top of us. But it is still coming. Make sure I don't forget to include this for you. This is an important article that Derek was way ahead on. But let's not also let's also not forget the EU and their own roadmap for implementation of exactly this. And this is important to understand because the, the whole point is this was from 2018 past 2022. So explain for anybody, whoever wants to try, how the EU can write a roadmap, a five-year roadmap. That in, in that five years ago, or say it would be six years ago now, planned for a vaccination passport in 2022, which, by the way, just so happened between 2021 and 2022 when this they tried to roll it out. That's the plan. You see, it was long sought. We just screwed it up with our awareness and our pushback. But it has always been coming. Here is 2023. Still not going away. Now, with the added benefit of their blockchain-based agent. Here's what this says. This is from 2023. Oh, here. I missed that earlier. Let me see if I can get a better view on this. I don't like the PDFs. Of course not. That's stupid. It says available here, but I, I couldn't find it on there. Anyway, here is the PDF version. This is called Innovative Blockchain-Based Agent Digital Passport Solution. 
Now, this generally just sounds like a digital passport for all sorts of things, right? But this is what it says. In this paper, we mean, we mean by digital health passport, a digital passport or immunity passport. It's right there. That stores information about an individual's personal data, health status, travel history, health conditions, medical and drug records. This is now, guys. So just think, realize that even though we all pushed back and it was clearly not taken, this is new. This is now being rolled around this year. So what will come along that will justify, will rationalize this again? No one's going to take these things when there's nothing. All right. Good times. Let me know in the chat was the last thing you heard. First person to it. Somebody very quickly jump in the chat. Let me know the last thing you heard from me. And then I'll start again. Good times. For those in the podcast, we just dropped out. Something happened. Who knows? Let me get this back for you real quick. Actually, here, I'll do this so we don't have any dead air. Let me play... Uh, Something real quick while I gab this back. Let me know in the chat what you heard last from me, guys. What was the last thing you heard? Let's do... Nice blanking. Well, I guess I'll just do this. I'll just keep going then. Let's see where we were. Okay. Well, it doesn't, I mean, it, 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 yeah. all right. Well, I'll, I guess we'll just go, we'll guess. So I don't know where I was. It doesn't look like it was that long ago. <laughs> Apparently nobody knows where we were. Is anybody paying attention? Okay, let's keep going. So I was talking about the EU passport. At least let me know whether you heard that or not. And we don't have to be redundant. So 2018 is when this passport was, or this out, this roadmap was placed out, right? And the idea is that the United, the European Union had this planned out five years back. Between 2021 and 2022, it literally says for a common vaccination passport. 
just showing you that this is planned, right? This is a planned outline. Here is today, 2023. This is recent new study from this year, innovative blockchain-based agent digital passport solution. It says, in this paper, we mean by digital health passport, a digital passport or immunity passport that stores information about an individual's personal data, health status, travel history, health conditions, and medical and drug records. This is now, guys. So my point is, this is not, we, we didn't accept it during COVID-19, the illusion, right? The point is that this is being still developed at a time when we don't have any reason to want this. So what's going to happen to justify it? The damn near, no one's going to want to take this. Now, it, it talks about using a secure mobile digital passport agent and the Jade agent framework. So if you know more about that, let me know. An agent-based secure in any case. It's just frustrating. You need building points on all of this, and I just don't know what you guys heard and what you didn't. So I guess we'll just leave it there and hope you didn't miss out on those points. So the point is that we're talking about today's digital passport and how this is building from the justification for the vaccine passport discussion for the digital infrastructure and how this is all building forward based on the illusion or could be the illusion of a pathogen all on the justification to push you into this new digital infrastructure based on the illusion of your health. Here is an, kind of a, a point back to the earlier vaccination development side of this during the COVID-19 illusion that I thought was really alarming. <clears throat> and this is where it gets into the conversation about the smart dust nanotechnology side of it. And this is where this is where I think this is all meant to be going. And my point from the beginning about how our minds are still kind of stuck back in this older physical real world concept, even though there is ultimately something there, it's physical. But my point is, if we're thinking cameras and that kind of stuff, and they're a far different level, we need to start catching up with that. So the digital or rather the, you know, the risk of your health was the justification for a digital vaccine passport or rather just a vaccine passport, which would then be digitalized because it's necessary, which would then justify your digital ID, justify the money you would need within the digital infrastructure, right? My, and the point was that this was all stepping further into that even while it was happening. And this is a point PC, I'm not familiar with, posted this, and I want to make sure we go over this overlap because I don't think they achieved a lot of this during the COVID-19 illusion. Because of what we were just saying, we pushed back on a lot of it. So a lot of this has been building behind the scenes as we discussed, like we said here, which was the, where was it? Ah, in any case, this one, that they're still working on the, the digital passport for any number of things while nobody clearly wants that. And this says Bill Gates provided $14 million of initial funds for a biotech company, Particles for Humanity, which was 2019, which was building on an on-patient medical record embedding vaccination information into the skin. So see my point is we're still thinking vaccine passport digital on your phone when they're long since past that point. It says it is run by the co-executor of Epstein's Will Boris Nick, uh, Nick, uh, Nikolic and Moderna co-founder, none other than Robert Langer. Now here is it goes over all these different 
screenshots and so on, which we'll just pull up here. We can show you that Particles for Humanity, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, May 2020. Interesting timing. Almost $4 million, not a huge amount. <clears throat> Here's the actual website you can look at from today. But let's get into what it actually said. Well, first of all, the actual site is no longer there, or rather just doesn't load, which I increasingly find it humorous how many of these interestingly telling things don't load or deleted or are suddenly no longer there. You know, it's just very telling. But of course, we have it on the way back machine. So this was, again, 2019 that Bill and the Gates Foundation funded in 2020, in May. And th you think of the timing. Here's what it says. Applying academic research to developing world needs. Problem technologies that could benefit billions often languish in academic research labs. Solution. Well, use successful biotech model to accelerate progress with people experience and trans, you know, just the, 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 what they're trying to, this infrastructure they want to build. Bill, initial funding, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, pilot phase. Now, this is what they're actually talking about building with that infrastructure. Micro-encapsulation technologies. Single injection vaccines for full immunization. Vaccination tracking system for high coverage. So this is being done in 2019. And then funded to fruition in 2020. Interesting, right? Food fortification technology. Food fortification, you don't say. Like appeal, maybe, to stabilize essential nutrients or whatever. I'm hoping you guys are following with the connections I'm making here in regard to the point of what this all, maybe it's nothing. Or maybe it's everything. And maybe this is something that is far more interconnected than we realize that's not all in the same location. It's not all vaccines or all health in the food era or all foreign policy, whatever it is. These things interestingly intersect and it concerns me. And that's where we're going to get to definitely today, the Pfizer overlap in Gaza today. And we'll get there after this segment. But I'm just trying to keep your mind where all this intersects, for, for at least as I feel it does. Now, this again, 2019, single injection vaccine for full immunization. Now, in case they didn't make that clear, I'm worried that there's more going on with the nano smart dust, you know, nanotechnology field that nobody's asking questions about. We don't really understand what is possible, what can be relayed, what it could be doing, whether it can continue to circulate through your body and what that can then do. We know these are possible, but does that, can that be on an appeal sticker? Can it be inside an injection? You know, I, I have plenty of thoughts about it, but I'm very, very worried about where this goes. And I'm not even trying to say that's happening just yet. All I'm trying to show you is that it's possible. And I don't know why we would question that when we literally just caught them in some mass Whatever you want to call whatever you think COVID-19 was. Some people think it was depopulation. Some think it was a massive experiment. Whatever it was, it's not what we were told. I just don't even know how anybody can still think otherwise. But single injection vaccine for full immunization. Three million people die annually, they say, from vaccine-preventable diseases. They talk about a single injection, which, by the way, has time-released particles, shown as this little orange dot. Okay, well, time-released particles. Now, if that was, let's just say, the nanolipid particles, not saying that that's what they claim it is, right? They're claiming it. No, it's just a fatty layer that, that removed and ultimately releases the mRNA instructions to train your body how to make a spike protein. All of those things are dangerous, by the way. The lipid nanoparticles themselves, the mRNA mod, in fact, M1 methyl pseudouridine RNA, it's not an mRNA, it's not natural. And the spike protein, all those are deadly in their own right. 
why you'd want all three of them together seems like complete lunacy to me, but time-released particles. So my point is that could be what we're dealing with. We wouldn't know. How would we know any better? And why would this be the focus for this new thing before this starts and it's not something we utilize? Especially since they went experimental with everything else. Boosters automatically delivered. See my point? So you get a shot, and then in six in, in a month, you get your next one, whether you wanted it or not. Doesn't that seem a little bit concerning with what we just came from? Problem, most vaccines require multiple boosters. Solution, single injection. Encapsulates technology to release each booster at the right time. Or not, and you die. You know, <laughs> you get to try out the new technology, right? Or rather, they just go, oh, well, you got extra sick, so, you know, it's working. Or it released all three at the same time, you know, or, or any number of other things that could go wrong, like we're literally watching play out today. The tracking system is what concerns me the most. Problem. Challenging the reliability, determine who has, vaccin who has been vaccinated as patient medical records are spotty, especially during vaccine campaigns. Solution. On patient medical record embedding vaccination into your skin. Invisible data only readable by custom low-cost mobile technology. So it's not super high-tech in regard to what they can use to see it. Enables valuable auditing vaccine campaign to ensure high coverage. How do we know that's not already happening? Look at this. Gavi expert. Expert on vaccine tracking. Remember Gavi? Oh, wait. That would pop up. that load. Don't grab the Gavi link. I think that's in there. That's that picture I used before for sure. But in your skin that was, that was essentially outlined long and capable of long before COVID-19. So why wouldn't this have been something that was utilized? Maybe it was. Food fortification problem. Many nutrients are unstable in heat and light or cause sensory issues, limiting the potential of food fortification. Solution? Well, a micronutrient encapsulation technology, otherwise known as appeal. That's exactly what we're talking about. So isn't it a little bit disconcerting that all these things come together and intersect before COVID ever started? All based from the same discussion point and the same necessity and the same objective, even though they seem like completely disconnected things? You getting my point? Here is the most unnerving thing for me. Robert Langer. Bob Langer was a part of this. Bob Langer was the co-founder of Moderna, the technology used in the injections, and Moderna itself, and goes all the way back to the overlap to some of the most nefarious things we've been discussing, the, the Lieber-Langer overlap and the work that they've been working, the, the invasive technology that has been the outline for many of the things we're discussing. I mean, it's really hard not to see how in uh, the overwhelming overlap to all of this. Here it is. Here is, I'll show you the article I was discussing there from the vaccine that we call, it's called Vaccine Bait and Switch. As millions pulled from WHO, Trump gives billions to Gates founded Gavi. Got to start putting these pieces together, guys. So here is the MIT news. We've shown you this many times from 2019. Remember this? Storing medical information below the skin's surface. Now, it doesn't have to look like this. 
That's just what they, they, they showed you. And this was a Gates product, or at least associated with Bill, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Right here, Bob Langer, the coronavirus, common denominator. Ties with Charles Lieber. Now, I'm not going to go super in-depth on this because it's a lot of information to go over, but just to give you the basic overlap, and, and this as well, which is where my mind goes with this, the Charles Lieber connection from nanotechnology to COVID-19 to technocracy. Now, here's just a quick, well, first of all, before I go into this, this more in-depth point on that, Charles Lieber, who, don't forget, was arrested in the beginning of COVID-19 for trying to bring genetic material, or rather specifically for the funding, but he was caught with Chinese nationals bringing genetic material in their sock. There's no way you pretend like that wasn't some kind of smuggling operation, and yet all he got charged with was withholding information about what he was getting paid with China. There's a lot more. He is a central part of this. Here's what he was working on in 2011. Virus-sized transistors. Now, they've edited this page many times, but the gist of it is still present. Ultimately saying, it says this innovation was important because it indicates that when a man-made structure is as small as a virus or bacteria, it can behave the way biological structures do. As I always point out, could this not have been an invention, a, a an innovation that was accidentally released or on purpose that literally became what we were dealing with, if you believe there was something there? Certainly possible. Maybe that was the test. Either way, the point is a virus-sized transistor that does act like biology, that can act like a virus, that can spread. It's, this is the same overlap. So overlap that work with somebody like Robert, uh, or, uh, Bob Langer who was working on the other side of this, right? Talking about the actual nanotech side and both of them intersect in regard to the surveillance, the internal bio surveillance. That's what all of this is ultimately about. And here I just put together a quick thread, which I hope you'll check out to show you how these in my mind kind of come together. And this was what we already discussed. A team of researchers has used lipid nanoparticles loaded with mRNA the starring technology in some COVID vaccines to non-invasively and selectively trigger cell death in mice. In the second experiment, they use those same nanoparticles to remove a dangerous cell. It's pretty simple, right? Literally using the things that are in this COVID injection simply aimed in a different way. I said, this is what dual tech looks like. It's your COVID injection. It is everything being done in these labs in regard to vaccine technology. That's what this is, guys. These are dual use. That's what they know. It can case the mod RNA, lethal pseudouridium RNA, is, is programmed. This is the mRNA platform, guys. That's what this is. So, and I said, and this is why we have peer-reviewed science finding that it is the very mRNA platform itself that is, in fact, causing myocarditis, in part the lipid nanoparticle mod RNA delivery system like discussed above. Was it programmed to do this or was this just a mistake? Then, of course, remember that Ralph Barrick from North Carolina University, Chapel Hill, was in fact funded in the 90s by the U.S. government to create a myocarditis-inducing coronavirus. Is this mod RNA platform the end result of that weaponizing research? Of course, after he got funded by the U.S. government to weaponize coronavirus to induce myocarditis, amazing that we don't overlap that with what's literally happening right now, a coronavirus causing myocarditis, 
he went on to attempt to aerosolize it, to literally make it a self-spreading agent using bats in the caves of China. All of it documented. In the, here's the show where we discuss it, of course, always including every bit of source material. And this overlap with the work of Charles Lieber and Robert Langer. Langer later going on to become the co-founder of none other than Moderna, where the lipid nanoparticle delivery system went into effect as the COVID-19 injection. Lieber, of course, used this lipid nanoparticle system to create a virus-sized transistor in 2011. Lieber said this innovation was important because it indicated that when a man-made structure was as small as a virus or bacteria, it can behave the way biological structures do. I have openly wondered since 2020 whether this virus-sized transistor might in fact be COVID-19. Either way, I feel all of this is converging, being used to usher in the new stage of control. Some of this may seem wild. I just ask that you consider these possibilities. Then, asking yourself if that's interestingly possible, the idea that this might not even be present, right? That ultimately what we're dealing with is something that is a manipulation. A wholesale lie. Now, whether that's coming from the idea that you believe viruses don't exist or the idea that this is something that doesn't even need to based on what we can prove and that this might have been a massive experiment, then let's let's just for sake of conversation, let's revisit this tweet because I find this really fascinating. Now, I don't trust China's government any more than I trust the U.S. government or the WHO for that matter. I don't trust any of these groups. You shouldn't. Really, even if you did want to, you shouldn't anyway. You don't trust any person in a position of power. That's stupid. But the interesting point is, from the right-wing side of this, the argument was, China didn't tell us, right? The Wuhan flu, they withheld it, and that became a marching point from all the people on the hardcore right. The China didn't let us know, and there were WHOs were working together. Certainly possible, right? Okay, well, isn't that the same group that seems largely now arguing that this wasn't even really there, that that's the illusion? Well, okay, so let's just say, let's go through that track. They didn't let us know, but then it became, we argued that it wasn't really as dangerous as we thought it was, that it wasn't really even there, maybe. Okay, well, doesn't that then interestingly open this conversation that maybe they were telling you the truth? Or maybe they were lying to you in a different way? Let's not forget, January 14th, 2020, it says, preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission. Okay, I find this fascinating because there's a lot of people out there, in the, especially in the right side of the no wing, no virus conversation, who would still argue China bad guy and that China lied. Well, if they lied to us about there being a problem, which was the point, but then your argument becomes today that there is no virus, doesn't, I mean, think about the contradiction there. I find that fascinating. Doesn't have to mean China's the good guy or China's on your side. It could just simply mean that they were of the mind that this was some kind of an act against them or against other people and maybe spoke up and said it wasn't there. Or maybe the plan was to lie to you and they're all working together. My point is simply that I find it interesting how much two-party politics rule the day. And we follow along with the screamers at the top of the two-party paradigm. Very interesting to me. And then I'll include this, our interview with Danny Rancor from September 2022. Data proves the COVID-19 is actually an illusion. Now, of course, an illusion doesn't mean fake. Can. The point is that he proves this unequivocally. That if they had wanted to make this, you would not have needed anything to do it. Which doesn't then mean that that's what happened. But what he's simply proving to you is that using the data we have with the combination of the 
you know, the, the combination of flu, pneumonia, and COVID-19, the cycle threshold, the PCR test, false positive. I mean, you go on and on. You literally, and of course, the vanishing flu, the vanishing pneumonia that suddenly became COVID, it's quite obvious. And we do know that this was, if it was real, very, very, it was less than the flu, according to the Ionitis Group and peer-reviewed science. So you can decide. Either way, we were lied to, and it was an illusion, possibly to the point to where it wasn't even really there, which then again opens up this interesting point about whether they maybe did say this, and it was true. But overall, I just want us to be very, very on guard for where this goes, you know, how they're already discussing, you know, going right back to Robert Langer's work in 2019 using the same discussion systems for on-patient medical record tracking embedded in your skin, and there's been any number of things that have happened around this that could have been that. Bringing this into the conversation of today, keeping all this in mind for where I still see all this going and the vaccine passport in dovetailing or rather on the heels of the digital infrastructure conversation, or rather I, you can look at it either way, that that came first. It didn't, it didn't happen though, right? So whether they try to roll it in again after the fact or not, the point is they want you in this digital infrastructure, whether you like it or not. So that can be turned off so you can be controlled. And if you don't think that's why you, they're, you're not listening to what they tell you. They're openly telling you this is that future. So the question then becomes, what is being done now in the sense of whether this might be something being driven into reality? I've been openly openly worrying about what happens in Gaza in the health aspect. We've talked about it many times. We talked about the flooding, which very clearly, in my opinion, was done to make the situation unstable. I mean, there's rain, there's hard downfall every year, but I've never seen it like the way we saw with these floods that were up to people's waists. And don't forget right before that, they were saying, we're going to flood the tunnels with seawater. And then weirdly, no one in the corporate media talked about it again. Not really. So I'm convinced that was in order to make it flood in order to make this as dangerous and unhealthy as possible. This is my personal opinion based on what they've already done. But on top of that, the destruction of the sanitation, destruction of the hospitals, destruction, you know, no water, no, I mean, they're guaranteeing this will be a problem, just like they did in Yemen, creating the cholera outbreak on purpose. That's what they do. Even going as far as to potentially, I would ask the question whether it was done, like literally, you know, seeded amongst the population to create it, as opposed to just letting it get so bad that it naturally happens itself. Either way, it's deliberate, in my opinion. So this brings us to that we now have this actual discussion being had. A soldier with a fungal infection dies. Fears grow of Gaza diseases spreading into Israel. I mean, isn't this literally what we predicted would happen? It's not hard to see it coming. The question is what they do now. But here is uh, Eden points out some really interesting things. I'm not familiar with his work, but this is where I saw this first. He says the Pfizer lab, the Gaza war edition. Pfizer is, again, using Israelis as a laboratory using them as laboratory rats to test their products. Again, the Israeli Ministry of Health and Israeli doctors are taking part. And again, patients are not being informed that they are lab rats. Now here is, let me get her, I don't open this real quick. Oh, I went away anyway. Here's what her actual title is. You know, I'm starting to get really frustrated by how selectively these things work. Maybe it's just me, but like this, for example, where's the translate button? See right here. Look at that. Translate post. Huh. Okay. Got it. Okay. This one. Oh, weird. No translate button. Isn't that funny? (laughs) 
quite frankly, I think it's deliberate, but you know, call me a conspiracy theorist. Plenty do. Now I, I just can't see, but she, she says she's a health correspondent. She's part of the health ministry, the point, but I, there's no translate button, which there usually is. I wonder why, but we can do this. Here's what it says. In light of several cases of soldiers who were injured in Gaza and who suffer from fungal infection, recently doctors in several hospitals requested to import into Israel an experimental drug for the treatment of fungi from the Pfizer company. And the drug is called Fosmanagepix. It's ridiculous. I almost can't believe it. Fosmanagepix. What are these names they come up with? So he says his first tweet included this. Her, this her, her, that's just her statement right there. That's what she said. <clears throat> and it says the follow-up of what was reported by Israeli TV, uh, by Khan News, the Ulta Porter, who stated that the Israeli soldier has died from an infection that was caused by fungus that is found in Gaza to, uh, two weeks ago. <clears throat> that's what it says here. Basically the exact same thing. So he says, they stated the fungi and mold that is present in the soil of Gaza contaminated their wounds, and that the soldier who got contaminated by the two types of fungus died because of the fungus, which is very strange. She also stated that 10 more soldiers have the same problem. Now, why would you be using an experimental Pfizer drug? There's plenty of other things that can treat this. It says in her report, they stated it never happened in the previous wars. So that's very telling to me that they have tried to use experimental medicine, but they didn't manage to save the soldier's life. We are now, and so again, so it didn't work, but you're still using it because that's the point. We are now being told that Israeli doctors now asked to use this experimental drug. It says, what, what is the drug? According to Wikipedia, it is an experimental antifungal drug being developed by Am Amplix Pharmaceuticals, now owned by Pfizer, and specifically. Interestingly, one of the primary focal points, Candida auris. Now, it doesn't have to mean anything, but I'll explain more about, if you don't remember, the, what that is and why that's interestingly overlapped with COVID-19. The experimental drug supposed to treat various fungal infections, including candem candemia, which is that point. It says that this, they're saying basically caused uh, aspergiosis, is a fungal infection of usually the lung caused by a genus of the lung. Very interesting. A common mold that is breathed in frequently from the air. It's a common infection, and thus the claim that wounded soldiers who suffer from it are the first, are, are, are dying. It doesn't make any sense, is the point. So it's a common thing, it seems. So we're missing some information, is the point. And I mean, you, you can read all the same stuff right here in their article. But see, this is, it says, candemia is defined as the presence of candida species in the blood. This is not a new problem. Remember, this was the huge thing about circulating through the hospitals during COVID was candida auris. It says, you know, this is interesting. It's bringing us to the drug. It says, which hospitals are now asking to approve the use of this drug on the soldiers? Well, three of the major Israeli hospitals. Why? Because it turns out they all took part in the phase two trials of this drug. Now, of course, you could argue, well, it's because they know it works. Well, or not. I mean, assuming seems to be a very dangerous thing. These well, always is, but especially when you're dealing with the Israeli government right now. The study was conducted between October 2018 and March 2020. 21 participants received the drug. Five of them died. But of course, like mRNA, according to Pfizer, quote, 
Their deaths were deemed unrelated to the study treatment. Five out of 21, but just completely random, right? You know what the odds of that are? I mean, this is getting obviously to becoming a pattern. How easy it is to go, well, it's unrelated. Goes on to say, one of the Israeli doctors who took part in the phase two clinical trial is Dr. Galia Rav, Rahav, director of the infectious diseases department at the Sheba Hospital, who said, who was one of the leading pro-vaccinating uh, doctors during COVID-19 pandemic. And saying, Israeli soldiers are being sent to war in Gaza by those who allowed it to happen for hours during the October 7th attacks by a government led by the prime minister who pushed a secret government agreement and turned Israel into Pfizer's lab, as they openly called it. Israeli soldiers who are sent to a death trap in Gaza, if they get wounded, are going to be treated with this new drug that has questionable efficacy and safety, exactly like the mRNA shots by the same people who pushed the COVID jab. I mean, it's kind of hard to miss these overlaps. I find this really alarming for many different reasons. And more so than any is the idea that how do we even know that's actually what's happening? Scares me. Here is the drug itself. As you can see right here, treatment of patients with life-threatening invasive fungal infections, one of them specifically, Candida auris. Which again is the that that's the problem that was circulating through hospitals. Now Candida albatra or albacon is the one predominantly in your mask. Now there is an overlap. Specifically, the reusing of those masks was one of the reasons Candida auris was spreading largely throughout the hospitals. So yet again, their own their own mandate caused the problems. They let her accuse, you know, it's just so insulting how often this happens. Now, here's the article you can read for yourself. I want to point out, oh, that's right. I forgot I'm going to read a couple things in the beginning here. Now, it says the death of a badly wounded IDF soldier in an Israeli hospital who has, was infected with a dangerous strain of fungus while fighting in the Gaza Strip has raised concerns about disease in Gaza affecting troops and possibly straining the Israeli civilians. Another thing we should ask is whether this was done to them. And this is just the byproduct of using this in Gaza. Something we should ask. According to the Akon Public Broadcaster report, the soldier was brought to Asuta Ashad Medical Center two weeks ago with several limb injuries. Despite round-the-clock care. So get this, limb injuries. So that's all we're being told. Just pretty Things that shouldn't threaten his life. But because of this fungal infection, and despite round-the-clock care, he died. That seems very strange to me, guys. That is not, I mean, think about what... How, I mean, I guess this is hypothetically how some new thing would start because of these converging problems, but you could argue that would be Israel's fault anyway for what they're doing to the area. But that this would become something that would instantly kill somebody. Like, that does that sounds like something new and different. That doesn't sound like some candida infection with just the... I mean, this is, in my opinion, something else is going on. Now, it says military medical officials have not yet determined his cause of death. Really? Like, I don't even, that again, that adds to the point. It's something that is not normal. There's something new happening or being lied to entirely. Do not, do not fall prey to the, the fear mongering about the new illness or whatever that be, question, everything. But also question whether this is real and that this is something they're trying to use against people there for the very same reason. But they confirm there are isolated cases of similar fungal infections among wounded soldiers returning from Gaza. 
Now, it says civilian experts who spoke with the Times of Israel warned that cases of potentially deadly fungal infections and other serious afflictions are less isolated than has been reported. So basically that they're downplaying. Like, so think about this. Think about the idea that everyone's, the argument is that China withheld everything and that was what caused it to spread, probably on design, maybe. And then here we have Israel literally downplaying the illness as we're, as their own mainstream media is going, well, they're, they're downplaying. It's less isolated than they're telling you. Isn't that the same thing? It's just so, it's so frustrating how we apply these things. You know, if Iran or China does it, well, they're bad guy. If Israel does it, there must be a good reason. <laughs> It's just so childish how we are with these things. What if they, if this is a real illness? What they're doing is putting people's lives at risk by not telling you the truth, which is exactly what I predict Israel would do for its own interest at the at the expense of literally everybody else, including its own population, just like our government. But it says all Israeli hospitals have reported that a significant percentage of wounded soldiers, a significant percentage, that's crazy, have come back with serious antimicrobial resistant infections. And you know why those things are happening? Sort of like the antibiotic resistant problems because of what they've been doing. Their overuse of these products, the overuse of antimicrobial hand sprays, everything. That's why these things happen. Not because of some other justification or anti-vaxxers. Antibiotic resistant problems are because of the egregiously overused antibiotics in cattle and meat and everything else. Endless peer-reviewed studies have found that we just don't care. So that's one thing to consider there, if that's even really happening. But it's saying they picked them up through contact with contaminated soil. Well, gee, why is that a problem? Maybe because they've been flooding the area with them. It says, among other factors, this is from their epidemiologist, but it says he noted that currently there are not large numbers of soldiers with sick, sick with the illness spreading among Gazans. So that's the only mention I see about this idea that it's that it is spreading in Gaza. Now, why would that be the downplayed point? Wouldn't you be arguing that they're sick everywhere in Gaza? And that's, I mean... Interesting, right? Now, here's a couple of points I don't want to miss. It says he noted that currently there are not large numbers of soldiers sick with the illness spreading among the Gazans. So it's interesting. So what what are they? What's the? I guess that's what I just read there. But what's the argument they're trying to say there? Right? Is it? It's I, uh, to me the insinuation, and I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here. Who knows where this is, whether it's benign or not. But ultimately, that this seems to suggest that, you know, well, okay, why are there not a large number of the, but basically how this might have been some kind of a deliberate thing is my only point about how that would affect some and not others. Something to consider. This one says diseases don't have borders. We need to take this seriously. Of course, that just adds to maybe, maybe they just mean it. Or maybe it's an inge- in- leaning into the idea that this opens that idea to, well, you know, borders no longer matter when this kind of thing happens, which is WHO. It's exactly what's happening. Then it says there have also been 160,000 cases in Gaza in the last couple of months of acute respiratory infections, I guess, including COVID-19 and RSV, which makes literally no sense. But what's funny about this is that Gaza fared reasonably well during the COVID-19 illusion. Interesting now that they start seeing this surge of almost you know over 150,000 cases of COVID-19. Weirdly, after they give about 12, 13,000 injections of whatever, who knows? We just talked about it. Just throwing out the, throwing out the facts. Who knows what, if that's what's causing it or not? Now, Muhammad Shahida points out, extremely dangerous, same 
similar discussion. IDF soldier dies with this infection. He says Israel's assault and siege on Gaza created perfect conditions for the breeding of treatment resistant deadly fungus that killed one soldier. So he's taking this at face value. This disease can, can soon spread locally and beyond. P.S. Israel destroyed Gaza's health system by design. He says, per Haaretz, Israeli experts acknowledge the siege and war are in fact creating an incubator to spread diseases, which, by the way, again, is by design. They've made statements about this. I think you actually list one down below. Gaza's overcrowded, bombed, and besieged hospitals are unable to diagnose patients, let alone treat the diseases. A catastrophe has arrived with this fungus, if it is real. We shouldn't dismiss that possibility. He says the warnings to stop immediately before deadly and untreatable diseases wipe out a significant portion of the population and spread beyond their borders. Senior Israeli public figures are calling to weaponize the spread of the deadly disease to bring victory closer. Retired Israeli general says the spread of disease in Gaza will bring victory closer. See? Now, you could argue that's just by, well, let it happen. It's their fault. Or you did it. Either way, it's the same ultimate outcome. You're letting this be a problem, which then obviously risks the other countries too. Didn't you just say that disease has no borders? So by letting this be a problem, doesn't that affect Egypt? And well, yeah, but of course, this is exactly what you'd expect from the Israeli government. Do what, do, do what you all say we're supposed to, but we'll do what we want, right? You, you follow the UN resolutions or you're a terrorist, but we'll ignore it whenever we want to. Same thing the US government does, guys. But he says, Israeli sources say the most likely origin of this dangerous fungus may be the soil contaminated with sewage water in Gaza. Or that's the argument, and they made this happen. Israel's destruction of infrastructure and cutting fuel, electricity to Gaza raised the likelihood of this. Now, we talked about this candida discussion. I find it really interesting how this weirdly overlaps. Now, don't forget that Pfizer bought this in 2021. Right when there started to become this focal point on what do you know? A candida outbreak in all the hospitals. So Pfizer goes perfect. More ways to make money on the back of what we're causing <laughs> or however you want to view it. So they buy the company that is working on a product that apparently seems to be damn. I haven't done that much of a deep dive on it just yet. I plan on it. Those mango, those mano, how do I say it again? Those mano jepics. God, that's so weird. The weird things they use. Why wouldn't you just call it something simple? Probably so it's more difficult to keep track of. But either way, that this is a drug designed to treat fungal outbreaks. One of the leading examples of that during COVID was Candida auris. Now suddenly that seems to be, at the very least, a drug that's being used to treat something that seems likely to be Candida related, seeing as how this is a drug they're using, and is being done on the back of an action that Israel carried out against a population that they want to ethnically cleanse. And then they step in with the Pfizer drug to treat it. Or I guess I kind of already said that, but either way, the point is the Pfizer overlap to it all. I just find it almost impossible. And then again, the point was that you did see these things. You saw the Candida Aurus, or rather Candida Albicon coming from the mask use, which was easily proven. WHO calls mask-induced infection worldwide threat. Right, because it's a real thing. It's, there's no denying it. It's causing these problems. Lethal candida outbreak blamed on COVID, and that's the other one. That's the candida auris, uh, uh, claiming that that was what was causing these outbreaks in the hospitals. But then it turned out. Now looking back, that the studies are finding that the reuse of their masks and the same kind of stuff they were doing was the leading cause of it. But they blamed COVID, like literally everything else. 
your mask may be causing a candida growth in your mouth. Yep. That's the Albicon. If I'm saying it correctly. Albicons with an S. All right. So the point is, it's very interesting, the overlap with COVID as we're talking about this from Pfizer with the drug they're using. Overall, I just want us to be weary of, you know, weary of how this, wary of how this goes forward. What will be the justification? Now, back to the very earliest part of it, the digital passport, the vaccine passport, right? The use of these different technologies. How about just the idea of a self-spreading vaccine to treat the very problem that they're currently dealing with, right? Now, if you want something to overlap with the digital, the with the nanotechnology side of it, the smart dust, the idea that they're already outlining these, the nanotechnology nanoparticles, the way that they just said they can aerosolize mRNA nanoparticles to deliver a vaccine. Maybe this becomes the justification to use it. Maybe they've already done that by doing spraying something over the area. And that's what all these are different possibilities. And if you think they're not possible, you're not listening. They'll tell you. Here it is from 2020 where they're literally saying this is your future. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? Is this a forward march of science or a mistake? Well, you know, we saw where it went. Now, here's the last point on this segment. And then it looks like we're already about close to two hours. So I'll just give you some highlights. I think we'll kind of wrap there. But Chief Nerd points out a new study shows COVID-19 vaccinated children have significant changes in their saliva, which may cause long-term oral health consequences. How interesting. Well, just so we're clear, the mask itself causes all of that. So the mask was proven. I mean, it's not even proven. It's a, it's a static reality that we've accepted from a long time before COVID that when you wear a mask, it it, it dries your mouth. And then the mouth, the mouth being more dry, one of the key reasons or benefits of saliva in your mouth is that it keeps the bacteria from becoming, it keeps it, it suppresses it to a degree. But when your mouth dries out, well, that bacteria, because we're prominent, and then is easily breathed back into your lungs. It's a basic reality. So when you wear the mask for long terms, a period of time, you're more likely to get things like bacterial pneumonia, which I did a lot of work around, right? That was, that was this discussion. Masks lead to bacterial pneumonia, bacterial pneumonia, oral thrush and systemic inflammation, and maybe the cause of long haul COVID in part, along with the injections and the problems that it was causing. But what's interesting, right? Is that what this is discussing is a combination of all of it that the vaccine itself are in fact causing lower secretions of that saliva. And then you wear a mask that causes it to go even lower. So this just adds one more layer of what I've always been saying, that every single choice seems to be combining to make the worst possible problem for you. Right? The mask increases your illness in general. The injection adds to that, increases the saliva. Now, these don't all of them by design, but my God, it seems like one of the most 
it's miraculous how many of these things lined up to hurt you just right. I find this to be by design. If you want my honest opinion. Scary. Now, what did I title tonight? Yeah, so we'll talk about that, the evacuation part that I do think is very important. Now, we're, we were going to get into some important stuff here in general that I'll save for probably tomorrow. But just to give you some of the quick overviews, and we'll focus on the evacuation, which I think is the main part, which basically is the ethnic cleansing, which we've had planned from the beginning. Just an update for where we are. This is from today. 11,422 children have been killed in Gaza in just 11 weeks. There is no precedent for this, guys. It is unparalleled. 11,422 children. Almost 30,000 people have been killed, the vast majority of them women and children. There's no way you can look at this without understanding that this is not, there's only one of two things. Either they do not care or they're targeting civilians. Either way, the, this illusion of pinpoint targeting Hamas, I mean, there's nobody with a brain who's still buying that. And yet they somehow managed to let this continue. Now, 101 journalists killed. Unbelievable. In just one one day, 24 hours, 241 deaths, bringing in total to over 21,000. Now, this, again, the numbers are depending on who you're looking to. This I have seen repeated by the, the UN and other locations about this high death toll from just the last 24 hours. It's in your face. Now, just reading this headline should make you uncomfortable. Israel expanding ground offensive into central Gaza refugee camps. Refugee, so, I mean, it's just right on the face. They're literally invading refugee camps because Hamas, or so we're told, with nothing to back that up whatsoever. But, you know, we killed 400 people in a refugee camp to maybe kill one guy that turns out wasn't there. But, you know, Hamas human shields, though. I mean, there's just no logical, this is in your face insulting. No matter what you think happened on October 7th, if everything they've ever said is true, what they're still doing right now in Israel or in Gaza is offensive. I mean, it is disgusting. They're knowingly doing this while these people act like what we see isn't what we see. And even they have begun, Macron just said, you absolutely have to stop what you're doing. He just said something like that today. And yet nothing changes. And even then, here's how insulting this is. Actually, I think there's only a couple quick parts in this. I just simply put showed that they're, the UN is expressing grave concern, well, as they should, regardless of what you think of them, because they're murdering civilians every single day, bombing every location, where they are, where they're going, on the way there, everywhere, acting like it's somehow their fault for being in the place they bombed when literally the, United, the New York Times investigation, here is Haaretz. So you have the corporate media in Israel, the corporate media in the United States, the United Nations, literally everybody other than Israel, the United States, and the people that support them going, you're murdering people, and we're all liars? Certainly possible. Ask, question, everything. But make sure you look at the facts when you do. Israel used most destructive bombs in areas designated as safe in the South. Just so you don't misunderstand this. Not just that they bombed the safe areas, not just that they bombed the humanitarian locations, but that they used the most indiscriminate, most destructive dumb bombs in the areas they told them to go to per 
the corporate media in Israel, you know, the one they're trying to shut down right now because they're telling some of the truth. I said, it's just, it makes you sick that this still happens when apparently everybody knows and we all just let it continue. I mean, what do you actually do? I'm not even trying to, what do you do? We all see it. The government doesn't care. At the very least, make sure you as an American, and I'm speaking directly to Americans right now, recognize they don't care what you think. When you can see that most everybody thinks that very clearly ceasefire, even they know that and still refuse to call for a ceasefire. They don't care about you or what you think. This is an illusion. So maybe recognize that when we drift into this illusion of an election that's going to come up soon. Beyond a war of annihilation. The UN Human Rights Office said on Tuesday it was gravely concerned about the continued bombardment of the middle area and its densely populated refugee camps, citing reports from any number of hospitals and groups that are covering this. It also warned of a deepening and already catastrophic humanitarian situation, saying that all the roads connecting these three camps have been destroyed. And any shelters and hospitals still operating were critically overcrowded and under-resourced, right? But they go, you shouldn't be there because if you're there, you're still terrorists. So go to the other location we're currently bombing. And then we'll oscillate to that later today and say, if you're still here, you're a terrorist because you should have been moving over there. And everybody can see that. The governments can see it. The UN's calling it out. And they call you a racist. And think about the people defending this. Never forget the Ben Shapiros, the Eli Davids of the world who have are very clearly going all in on this when everybody can see through it. Think about what that shows you. It says the bombardment of the north and south of Gaza continued on Wednesday. Just let that sentence sink in. Where are they supposed to be going? The the Palestinian Red Crescent said dozens were killed or wounded in a bunch of civilians being murdered. Apparently, nobody seems to care. The IDF has not yet commented on the incident, but did appear to confirm that they had handed over the bodies of 80 Palestinians, which, by the way, were also missing organs when they came home. During the war, bodies have been transported to Israel for an identification procedure as part of their effort to locate hostages. You know, and then, you know, casually remove some organs in the process because that's what happened. There are no magic solutions or shortcuts in the fundamental dismantling of a terrorist organization, except persistent and determined fighting. And we are very, very, very determined. Right. Well, that's not what's happening, though. You're bombing. You're not going in in some some surgical. Inve- I mean, this is not a ground war. They do have people on the ground, but they are bombing aggressively nonstop for, for, for 11 weeks. That's not the same thing. They are what they're doing is guaranteeing to kill the most. And then it goes on to say, we will also get Hamas leadership, whatever it takes, weeks or months. Oh, you mean the group that are being protected in Qatar right now that Netanyahu openly said he would not go after and is also helping mediate the hostage exchange, Qatar? Like, guys, if we can't recognize by now how ignorantly transparent that is, you don't want to. They're protecting the leadership in Qatar. Think about that. Making sure they always have their divisive entity should they ever want to use it again. Or, you know... X, take it out and make it look like they did something they were trying. They're going after people on the ground in Palestine, acting like they're taking out the people who are sitting in Qatar, using the money that Israel gave them. Because that's the reality. On Wednesday, six Palestinians, including a 17-year-old boy, were killed in a drone strike during an Israeli raid on a refugee camp in the West Bank. 
Oh, yeah, it's definitely not just Gaza, by the way, as much as they want you to think that. They're actively initiating the war on West Bank, which I knew was going to happen. Anybody with a brain saw coming because this is not about Hamas. It is about Palestine. And you don't need to see much else. Combine this with their early statement on October 10th that stated it's about destruction, not accuracy. Since I have next to each other for those that haven't seen them. And then I'll make that same point about how, look, they changed this. Always check the archive. It really does kind of bring it home for some people, right? Realizing that, so they're going, yep, we invest, New York Times investigated, Heretz confirmed, they're using their most destructive dumb bombs in areas they told them to go to be safe. Then when they go there, they call them terrorists for being there when they bomb, right? And originally, they put out the article in The Guardian quoting exactly what he said, which was, emphasis is on damage, not accuracy. Then, of course, they had to change it because it was too on the nose. We're focused on maximum damage, which is the same stupid point, guys. Focused on maximum damage somehow doesn't mean that you're pin, like that you're pin, it means you're pinpoint targeting. I mean, come on. They, they think you're this dumb, guys. They really think you're this dumb. They're openly murdering people and telling you that it's okay. Now, here is a representative. This was, hold on, I had the, I had the, hold on a sec. It was on this one. Make sure I get his name. Elia Yusan, an Israeli analyst and veteran of none other than the Unit 8200. Here's what he says. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Well, in case, see where that just took me? That, did, that definitely did not take me back to where we just were. But I'll leave it here just in case, because seemingly Twitter is aggressively trying to keep you from seeing things. It says, every baby in Gaza is an enemy. Sound familiar, doesn't it? It should, because that's what pretty much everybody in Israel and their leadership is saying. Hamas, it says, is, does not control Gaza, and it is not the enemy. Gaza contains Hamas. And so Hamas is not the enemy here, but Gaza is the enemy. This is what they really think. And that's also because somewhere in these leadership know that Hamas is their secret ent entity. And that does not mean everybody in Hamas knows that. It means the leadership knows that, who are being protected in Qatar. He says, as soon as we alter the terminology, the understanding of the situation will also change. And the definition of the enemy will be different. That way, it's not important who you warn or who evacuates a neighborhood. You, it's just, it really, God, it makes me want to stand up and scream how we can literally see them doing this. Yeah, we don't care if we evacuate them and, you know, they'll tell 972 Magazine, sometimes we bring down buildings just to bring down buildings, but then we argue with people on Twitter who say you're a racist who hate Jews for stating what they'll say on live TV. It really frustrates you because some people just don't want to see it. This is what's called flattening the area, mowing the lawn, if you will, leveling the ground. He says, you asked me what I would do, and the answer is simple, leveling the ground and to kill the largest number possible. One of the analysts informing what they do. Because the woman there is an enemy. The baby there is an enemy. And the first grader is an enemy. And the Hamas militant is an enemy. And a pregnant woman is an enemy. You see, you get the point, guys? This is who we're dealing with. 
Now, certainly you're going to find some element of this on the other side because they're, I mean, at the very least, because you're dealing with the same thing in reverse, which is what we all seem to see in the U.S. government and Israel. Oh, give them cluster bombs because they're using cluster bombs. Oh, so you're just as bad. Right. We get that point. My argument is you can see very clearly a predominant portion of the resistance in Palestine actively seeking self-determination. So the reality being is self-determination and genocide are not working together. They're incongruent. So I think it's obvious what the Palestinian resistance is fighting for. You could find, you want to argue with hate in their hearts? Good. Whatever you want. The point is what they're openly stating is the opposite of what the Israeli government is actively doing and openly stating. It becomes difficult to not see the reality. Here's another one, by the way. You already showed, showed you this one. This is the Israeli politician who spoke on the record in the Knesset in front of every other politician and said, quote, the children of Gaza have brought this upon themselves. I've already played it for you. It's in here. You can read it. Watch it for yourself. But trust me, they're only going after Hamas. Right, guys? Right, right, Eli David? Right here. But here's what he has to say. He's been doing this relentlessly. Here's a bad thing over there. Oh, no one cares because there's no Jews. I mean, I don't really think he understands the argument he's making here. This is just desperation. Right. So he points out something that well, this is Red Voice Media looks like who's covering this. I've seen it covered. It's definitely being talked about and covered. He says yesterday, 140 Christians were killed in 20 villages in Nigeria. So 140 people across 40 different locations. People dying is sad. In one village only, two toddlers were left alive. Now, I'm not even saying this. For all we know, everything about what he's saying and the numbers are fake. This is an event that it happened. My point is that Eli David is famous for aggressively lying about everything he covers. But he says, anyone cares about, and I'm talking about Israel, anyone cares about the massacre? Any protests in European cities? Yes, David, <laughs> there are actually. But I guess you just don't care about the truth. So you're willing to just assume into whatever you want to talk about. The point is, there are. There are people covering it. There are protests. There are things all over the world happening. Any UN condemnation? Well, yeah, they made a post about it. But you don't care because the point you're making is bad things over there. So we are okay with our bad thing, right? Or I guess, I mean, what point you think you're making here? There's only two ways to look at this. Either that, well, since you don't care about that genocide, that that means that ours is okay because you only care, the, I guess, but the ultimately suggest that, yes, you are committing genocide, right? Because you're going, you don't care about that genocide. So ours is okay. That's the obvious implicit point there. But on top or the other way around is that you're arguing that the killing of these 140 Christians is not genocide. So that why, that's why yours isn't. Like, you explain for me what point he thinks he's making. The obvious thing is you're a hypocrite. Right. That's what Eli is trying to do. You only care because you hate Jews. That's his only point here. And you realize in the process of trying to call you a racist, he admits that what they're doing is bad. <laughs> it's just it's just the most desperate and ignorant thing I've ever seen. But he does it 14 times a day, finds any bad thing happening anywhere. And this has become the tagline. No Jews, no news, even though that's embarrassingly wrong. Like, first of all, this is the most alarming and important thing happening, in my opinion, in the world right now. Right now, the ongoing genocide that we will talk about for a thousand years. Yeah, kind of important, Eli. What we're happening over here is less death, more spread out, but still very important. So think about the logic of pointing out and saying people were killed in these different villages. But nobody cares about that. So therefore... We're allowed to keep doing this or somehow that it's not as bad. 
I just, God, man, this guy deserves to be made fun of. But the obvious other point is he doesn't care about these people either. Nobody, he's, he's suggesting that nobody cares about them. And it's because they're not Jewish. Even though the reality is that people are talking about it. Yes, they protested during Syria. Yes, they protested during Iraq. Yeah, man, they did. It's just very obvious. And on top of that, that what we're staring at here is the abuse of this punishment, the abuse of this suffering in order to somehow downplay what you at least think we're calling you out for. It's a loss. It really is a loss, no matter how you spin this around. But just watch his account if you want to get frustrated because every other thing he's posting is stuff just like this. He made the post about Syria, about Iraq, and all the historical points that somehow we didn't protest against Iraq war because no Jews were involved, even though that's not true, in fact, but also the fact that we, well, it's not true in every possible way. There's a lot of this going on. Now, here is a statement from Scott Ritter that I think is important is the reality. And let's not forget that he's over here going, look at these children killed over here or people. And there's some children that were left alive. Meanwhile, they're literally going, kill all these children. We don't care about them. They deserve what they get. They're all enemies. Destruction, not accuracy, dumb bombs on the locations we told them to go to. But apparently because Eli says, we don't care about these children, that everything is okay. Here's what Scott Ritter has to say. To what we're, why we're doing this. We're doing this because Israel wants to kill Palestinians. Let's just be straight up here. There is no military strategy for Israel anymore. They can't win against Hamas. They've already proven it. And America's told them, you got to shut this thing down come the end of the year. Okay, you got to transition to another mode of operation. Uh, so what's Israel doing between now and the end of the year? Simply slaughtering as many Palestinian civilians as possible. That's it. It's genocide. And we're the ones enabling that. We're going to veto another UN uh, effort to bring about a ceasefire. A ceasefire. We say no. Let the Israelis kill as many Palestinians because it's not. A and most importantly, every time they veto that ceasefire, it includes a complete and total exchange of hostages. It's right on the UN discussion every time. By the way, they've also passed a resolution that where there was no veto, where they said yes to that, and Israel doesn't care. So every time they call in other people to follow resolutions, notice how they ignore the ones they don't like, just like the U.S. government. But realize what it shows you. They don't care about the people in Gaza, any of them, including their own people, because they refuse the deal for them. And that's what the vast, and I mean like upper 90%, I think, of people in Israel are calling for. It's easy to tap into. They're screaming about getting people home, even if that means then go after Hamas. They want first and foremost a ceasefire, bring them home because they know that it's being offered and that Israel's ignoring that. And even in the beginning, what did they say? No, we're not going to do any of that because we want to go after Hamas first. They, they act like we can't remember what they already said. About defeating Hamas. It's literally about slaughtering Palestinians. The Houthi have said, we want that to come to an end. We need humanitarian good. So America is going to sacrifice everything, everything, because we're going to lose. I'm just telling you straight up, we're going to lose. We're sacrificing everything for what? For what? If we just, because we're not going to solve the maritime crisis uh, that's taking place in the Red Sea right now. It ain't going away. It could go away if we just told Israel to stop. Now, we've made a decision. It's a despicable decision, but we made a decision that we're going to let Israel, we've green-lighted Israel's ability to slaughter 
thousands of Palestinians as part of their collective punishment. Because right now, Israel is only after revenge. They're simply trying to tell the Palestinians. I agree. I think it's very obvious. Now, rapidly through this, Erdogan from Turkey speaks up and says, Netanyahu is, quote, no different than Hitler. Which I'm sure is designed to cause to be contentious. But guys, there's a valid argument you made about what we're actually discussing there. Right, about the extremism, not one ideology or another. I mean, that matters, but just the idea of what we're dealing with, the extent to which they're willing to go to achieve their ends at the expense of anybody else. Zachary Foster points out Benjamin Netanyahu claims the Israeli military is the most moral army in the world. Human Rights Watch, of course, United Nations, Amnesty, Beth Selim, everybody else, while the Israeli army is using starvation of civilians as a method of warfare. And they're working to expel civilian populations to Gaza, out of Gaza, like openly stating these things. And this is what I keep saying from the beginning. I'm not saying that you should have ever been blindly trusting any of them. I've never made that argument. I never will because it's dumb. But you should not ignore what they're saying either. Listen, consider, question everything. The point is that these are the groups they've always told us to look to in these circumstances. What's the UN saying? Oh, they're breaking the law. The UN made it clear. That, that's what Israel and the US has always done, have done. Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, Oxfam, UNICEF, all of them, all of them are in the same, on the same page about what Israel's doing. And that's why it's so jarring for the average person, because you can't ignore that. They're now going, but wait a minute, my whole life, you've been telling me to look at what the UN says about this. And now you're telling me they're Hamas. That's just stupid. And it really is just stupid. It's just transparent. But this is what Benjamin Netanyahu says, Erdogan, who is committing genocide against the Kurds, who, by the way, I'm no supporter of. He says, and who holds the world record for imprisoning journalists who opposes regime is the last person who can preach morality. You see where this is coming from? Do you see why people like Eli David are making these flimsy arguments about, well, look, look over there. You don't care about those bad things. So doesn't that mean I'm okay? Because Netanyahu himself is doing it right there. Okay, Netanyahu. So because Erdogan commits genocide, that makes it okay that you do? Like, do you not realize that by making that argument, you're essentially admitting that you're doing it, but because we don't care that he does it, you're allowed to do it? I mean, are these people actually this juvenile? Apparently so. Mark Zell says, IDF soldiers in Gaza have expressed frustration that the ground campaign is painstakingly slow. I mean, do we even need to go further? Like, how embarrassing. Yeah, it only took a, you know, it took almost 11 weeks to destroy all these people. Like, wow, where the wait? I mean, seriously? He says, he says, I asked why that is. This is Republicans overseas Israel. Of course, he clearly is not one-sided at all. But he says, they said, for example, when they call in an airstrike against a terrorist target, it takes forever to get clearance. You know why we already know that's not true? You remember. He says, why? Because the IDF insists on making sure there's no innocent civilians around. I mean, literally everything, including their statements and actions, make that clear that that's a lie. He says, did the U.S. do this in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan? Again, so because we're not doing the bad thing they did, we're allowed. Like, th- this seems like a common thread, doesn't it? But Israel does it and puts our soldiers at risk. At, really? <laughs> wow. He says, so remember when you read these Palestinian propaganda about Israel slaughtering innocents in Gaza? Wow, it's so desperate. And that's what Zachary says. Do you have a PhD in misinformation of war propaganda? The IDF calculates extremely, exactly how many people will be killed in each of its strikes. You know why we know that? Because they already admitted this. 
We already talked about this. 972 Magazine, a mass assassination factory, citing eight former and current IDF intelligence and members stating on the record what they're doing. And by the way, perfectly lines up with what you can see them doing. We discussed it in this show on October, on November 30th. The AI mass assassination factory, Habsara. So it's called the gospel. I said, they, they said, well, you sometimes like to take down buildings just to take down buildings, just to send a message. And that's what that's, you get people like this who are willing to just blindly toe the line in the interest of another country's interests. And that's my point here. We will no longer tolerate international officials deflecting blame onto Israel. And she's talking about UN hypocrisy. Now, actually, I'm going to come back to this. I want to make a point about this in general so we could finish over here. I want, let me make sure there wasn't a point I wanted to include. I will go over all this again. I was going to break some of this down again. Lies that are still being sold. Dr. Eli David, I, which I personally caught him in a lie, which then they, they eventually followed up and called it out on the context. But my God, did I get just the incessant... You're lying. You're wrong. Everybody in his comment is him. It's basically what he did. No, it's same thing. Same point. No mass protests in European capitals. Nobody cares. What's he pointing at? Apparently, he's stupidly sharing this without knowing this is not a new thing, and that neither of these pictures say what or actually of what this person is saying. Where it says ISIS burned nineteen Yazidi girls alive for refusing to convert to Islam. Well, it was in 2016 that a story was reported. What the facts were around that, God only knows, knowing how the U.S. and Israel are, in fact, obviously funding and working with ISIS. But the reality of them then claiming nobody cares. The point is, this is from a Jordanian pilot that was burned, and this is from a refugee discussion. And both of them are public discussions. You can find the, the articles on the, way, on the, on the Tim I Wayback Machine, whatever. Oh, in fact, I have them right here. Using the reverse image search, you can find all of them. Here's the Jordanian pilot. The point is, guys... These people don't care. He shared this because it didn't matter because he goes, look, nobody's mo protesting about this genocide. So ignore our genocide. Keep making that point, Eli. I don't think you realize what you're saying, but either way, he didn't even care to check because you know what? It doesn't matter. I, I guarantee it wasn't even like, oops, I got it wrong. It doesn't matter. Throw everything at the wall. So they have to dispute everything all the time. It's a tactic and we're watching them get caught in real time. So to end, I want to make sure we didn't see we do, um, don't miss this. Actually, make sure there's not a. No, that's it. That's the section here at the end. So really, I was gonna, I'll go over this again tomorrow as well. Field executions, mass detentions. There's more evidence coming out showing what they were doing with these people. We saw these people. They were rounding up. This has been. I remember, I keep. I told you this. It looks like they're just rounding up everybody over 15. Yep, I was right. And I mean, it, was, I, it just. I was just observing what I saw. It's the reality. We're watching this take place. They're literally rounding up people. It's now being covered all over the place. Human Euromed Human Rights Monitor made sure to point out that they've now documented field executions of average civilians. It's all over the place. Amnesty's made this clear. These are now details coming from a local on the ground, breaking down the, the, these, the three hostages that were shot. Were shot by IDF's members who apparently have already been executing people in the streets. It was already reported. Just examples of pe people in Gaza and the West Bank, by the way, being shot, homes broken into, just de dehumanizing efforts. It's everywhere. And Eli David, again, using those civilians going, same point. He's shared this exact same thing probably five times. But since I called him out, he interestingly had to leech the old ones. 
He's listening. He ain't no, he hears what we're saying. The point is that they keep doing the same things. It's the repetitive same things by going, oh, your staff are terrorists. Are you going to resign in disgrace? Well, they're not though. They're all civilians. Even the IDF admitted they kidnapped a bunch of civilians. And now you just keep pretending like because they're civilians in a picture of people you broke down, that that means they're Hamas. That's called desperate. And Dr. Anastasia Maria Lopez is pointing out that yet again, they've been caught stealing organs. As we just read to you a moment ago, the point is human rights, um, Euromed human rights monitor also caught this. And they're, I guess, wanted to make sure you saw her work from November 28th, the Israel's open secret of Palestinian organ theft. It's a very open discussion. Hamas has called them out saying that they now have 80 Palestinians who came back without, and they, Israel's the one that said they took those 80 bodies. They're now missing organs. It's pretty simple. Palestinian families being executed in their homes. Israeli occupation forces stopping ambulances and shooting the people that are in the ambulance beds. Guys, it's horrifying what's going on right now. And yes, West Bank, settlers, burning homes, kicking people out of their homes. It's active right now what's happening. And this is where we get into the end point about what they're doing. The, the coming evacuation. They're already getting ready. I keep showing you this. Demolishing what remains of the houses that are there. Why would they need to do this if they're on the hunt for Hamas in a place they already claim they've secured? They're leveling the area. I've shown you four examples of this. They're planning to build the settlements. Now, yet again, I'm sure this is... Something that we'll be right about because it's obvious to me that we can see it happening. Oh, that's actually perfect. This includes both these. The Israel's open secret of the Palestinian organ theft and the reality of the Israel's illegal settlements in Gaza is the point. This will come. People are afraid to make the argument because they feel like it's too contentious. The facts are already there. As usual, we'll be ahead of the point. Here. Is it what you, I mean, this is just so depressing. This is Gaza. Look at what you're looking at here. There used to be buildings everywhere. Now, yes, it's more on the outskirts, but realize this is demolished. These were neighborhoods, these were streets. They are leveling this stuff. That's pinpoint targeting of Hamas, apparently. Here's Jerusalem Post saying, why moving to the Sinai Peninsula is the solution for Gaza's Palestinians? Oh, just an opinion, though. Totally not what's happening, though. Even though we have the leaked plan, 14 different members of their government stating the plan, open discussions about how they don't deserve to be there, that we're going to resettle Gaza. Their settlement groups already planning settlements on the ground, but it's all conspiracy theory. This is, I, I don't even know what to call this. We keep doing this, whether it was COVID or East Palestine or Lahaina. Where we get to a point to where it's just obvious. And I don't mean opinion. I mean, the facts are there. They've stated what they're going to do. We have the.
Second time tonight. We must be on a run here, guys. Must be talking about something good. <laughs> so apologize for the for the podcast. So that was the second time now we've been kicked out of StreamYard for some reason. Anyway, we're about to finish anyway. So no, 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 no. But the point is, Al Mawasi was well. We were. I was showing this and just kind of going off on the point about how it's obvious what they're doing, right? That that's the frustrating part about this. Uh, what I would, whatever you missed, who knows what I was saying when you got tripped out. There's a point that at some point we just have to be real about what we're seeing, right? The leaked plan shows you what they're doing. What they state they're going to do shows you what they're doing. Their actions show you what they're doing. And all of it lines up with the obvious. The only thing different is them going, we're not trying to remove them. We're only fighting Hamas. Well, you can say all you want. Leaked plans, opinion pieces, stated objectives, actual actions. Everything proves to you what they're actually doing. They don't want these people here anyway. It's obvious. So my point was just, we just have to be honest about that. Just own it, honestly engage with what this is. They're math, ethnic, ethnically cleansing. And then the point was, he says, al Mawasi area as a humanitarian zone has always been the case. That's not true. In the very beginning, Yon Kunis and these different southern areas, the idea that this area, they only designated now after the fact. That al Mawasi became the area they would dump them all in after they said they had to flee the south too. Remember? So this idea that he's acting like this was the area since the very beginning of the ground offensive, these guys just can't. I mean, you can prove he's lying about that. The point is what he's trying to say is they urge Gaza civilians to evacuate temporarily for their safety. We want civilians to be protected, he says, in areas where Hamas is not already using them as human shields, to which we have zero evidence is even happening. And it's horrific that UN agencies have endangered them by funneling them into Hamas strongholds. How is that happening? You mean hospitals they're sheltering in instead of facilitating their safe evacuation to the humanitarian zone? Oh, Elon, you, you mean you mean this humanitarian zone where you've been bombing them with the most destructive dead bump dumb bombs? Those exact designated safe areas? Guys, they're just caught. It's obvious. It's over. We all see who they are and what they're doing. The Zionist agenda. You don't prove that they're bombing where you tell them to go and then stand up on Twitter and act, act all high and mighty as if you're all misunderstanding the situation and the UN is Hamas misleading you by saying that they should have just gone to the safe zone. You're bombing the safe zone. And we all seem to be able to acknowledge that. But think about the kind of disgusting human nature it takes to do that and then stand up and blame everybody for not still doing it and then calling them racist for saying that. Civilians must be protected from Hamas so we can then bomb them. Is that your narrative? He says it's horrific the UN agencies cannot bring themselves to condemn Hamas for shooting rockets at Israel communities. You mean aside from literally every time ever since before? I mean, think about the absurdity of every time in the past them standing up and doing exactly that. And then when this starts, they do exactly that for the first three weeks. But now... They're angry they don't just stand up every time a wayward rocket hits a field or you say that and scream about war crimes. You know why? Because you're literally murdering 11,000 children in 11 weeks. That's why. This is ironically, the only people encouraging the mass displacement of Gazans are those who falsely label most of them refugees. God, these guys are despicable. You're talking about people that were forced forced into refugee camps that they were that they've lived in ever since 
in Lebanon, in, in occupied Palestine, Gaza being one of these locations, the, re- the Jablia refugee camp, the bomb being one of those, and forcing them into this position, stealing from them for seven, I mean, and then, and then blaming them for being refugees. I mean, guys, it's just the most despicable, inhuman act. The way he's describing this and indulge their dreams, he says, of relocating in Israel through violent struggle or also called international law, you absolute monster. Like you realize that they're trying to frame what is protected under international law as terrorism, violent struggle, armed rebellion that is protected under the Geneva Conventions for an occupied territory. And then he goes, instead of living in peace among us, alongside us. So you start the argument by saying that we're not going to allow these people who dare to call themselves refugees. But but when we then say they should, I mean, the point ultimately is that they're the problem and everything they do is they're working with Hamas. They voted for Hamas. We, they're, none of them are innocent, but then say it's their fault for not living alongside us. You mean the very thing you would have never allowed and have in every possible way actively stopped? Yep, exactly that. As Netanyahu makes it very clear, he's proud of preventing a Palestinian state. You just can't play this all the ways they're trying to. Everybody sees through them right now. Thank God, because they're horrible. What's happening is one of the most despicable things I've ever seen in my life. And it's, he bases off of the UN simply saying, Israel's working to expel civilian populations of Gaza through mass force displacement and attacks on civilian civilians and civilian infrastructure. That's the UN saying that. And the South warns, calling for a ceasefire now. Where will the people have left to go? It's, I mean, how do you take that as an attack on you? The only reason you take that as an attack on you is because you're the one doing that. You see what I'm saying? They're not saying, yeah, they're basically going, this is happening. Now, if you frame this as, we're fighting Hamas and moving the population out of the area Hamas is in and targeting the buildings Hamas is using as human shields in order to get Hamas so we can protect the population. Well, we're, we're basically saying the exact same thing, but this one's through a lens of the Israeli propaganda. See, the, the only difference is everything I just said is what they're saying they're doing. Is The UN is just going, your narrative is not applied. You're expelling the population through mass displacement. That's exactly what they say they're doing. They just call it protecting them from Hamas and attacking civilian infrastructure is what you're saying. You just keep saying that Hamas is using them as human shields, right? And where else are they going to go? The whole point is the evacuation. They're driving them to create an unstable situation that is so untenable so the people act on their behalf. So they step up and go, we need to get them out of Egypt. So Biden or somebody else does it for Israel. That's what they're trying to accomplish, in my opinion. Or it works out for everybody and they just murder all of them in the first place. That's how they see this. Just realize that what the UN is saying is literally what they're doing. And in fact, what they say they're doing just through a different lens but he can't stand it. How dare they talk about human rights? Oh, no. He just goes off exposing his hand. Endangered them by funneling them into Hamas. Explain for me how the UN funneled them into anything. The only groups driving them is your bombing and your groups on the ground. The point is that they went to places to protect themselves from the very bombs that you claim you're not dropping on them in the safe zones you claim exist. In fact, we should put put this here just so people can see it. 
just so amazing that some people still buy what they're doing or what they're saying. So to finish, he's saying, I'll just skip that one. General, same kind of point. But Italy, uh, Itay Epstein points out that is Israel's military occupation in Gaza drives civilians closer to the southern borders. So here we, here's Egypt, right? They've been driving them down the south. He says, the looming possibility of mass deportation of Palestinians to Egypt grows. This alarming prospect follows recent media reports and explicit statements by Israeli officials endorsing such deportation without reasonable justification, proper accommodation in places of refuge, or guarantees of right of the return to their homes once hostilities end. All of those things are are supposed to be absolute, and yet we act like they're abiding by the law. I mean, realize the whole point of the right to return. That's where the march of return comes from. They've never been allowed to go back to their homes from the earliest occupation of Palestine. That's why it's occupied. And that's why it is still an illegal occupation. The point is that once you, there are still wars as much as some of us don't want that. The point is once the hostilities end, you're supposed to allow the civilian populations to go back. They just didn't want them to because they wanted the area. It's just the most obvious thing in the world. And Dr. I'll skip this one for next time. The point is just how hypocritical it is for them to say, you know, why are they even places called refugee camps in Gaza? Like just either a wholesale ignorance of the reality of the history or deliberately misrepresenting it to basically attack the victims. But the point this person makes is, yeah, we kicked you out of your homes and denied you a right to return. But hey, it's been 75 years. Get over it. Say the people who did this to build a state based on the claim of returning 2000 years later. Like, the hypocrisy is overwhelming. But Netanyahu's now pushing for voluntary migration. This is how, asking, who who wants to go to Egypt? Here, I'll even give you something, or we'll pretend to promise you something that doesn't ever follow through. They're beginning the process, guys, just like anybody with a brain can see coming. And let's not forget, they've been actively fighting what what the solution was supposed to be. From the very beginning, if you understand the reality, Netanyahu is now looking for countries to absorb Palestinians from Gaza. His comments are the latest sign that Israel's goal is to ethnically cleanse Palestine. It's all on the surface. And we'll end with this clip that I think is really interesting and kind of unnerving with the music they add, but makes an excellent point. Okay, so just some some uh, to context. They're on the airplane with weirdly. At first, it just seems like KJP, but they all kind of lurk out as he's talking because we know how controlled his speech is. So they ask, and she jumps in and says, "Oh, evacuation! If it's evacuation, evacuation." <laughs> well, where does that word come from? Like that, she she is so bad at her job; it's embarrassing. So clearly, I think she let that cat out of the bag. Even though we all should likely know that's obviously what's happening, she said that. And watch as he pulls back from that. And I believe he, I can't really hear what he says, but at one point he kind of chastises her. And she's, and then the way that they film this is hilarious because you can see John Kirby and the rest of them like afraid of what he's about to say. We're not getting people out. Uh, we're going to get people out, and I'm not going to get them out. We're not going to give more details than that. And then she goes into wrap up. So she's the one that said the word evacuation. 
Interesting. On everything. Meaning that they're sp- they need to be bringing everything to Gaza. Simply easily taken as they're not meeting their obligations, even in the eyes of the U.S. But by the way, that's always been the case. So when they were lying to you the whole time, saying they're doing everything within their power, as John Kirby stupidly said, we know they're lying because you can't do more if you're already doing everything you can. It's just that stupid. But they always know, like there's the game where they also know that we know they lie and we all just kind of let it go. It's like this weird unspoken game of politics, but it's it shouldn't be unspoken. They're dishonest liars is what they are. No, I, I was very blunt about the need to aid to Gaza or what exactly? On everything. So, <laughs> we, we, no, I, I was very blunt base. about the need to support getting humanitarian aid to Gaza. Get it to Gaza and do it quickly. All right. And, uh, that's interesting so all i think i heard there it's hard to tell she was trying to get him to stop and he said well don't and they laugh <laughs> it's uncomfortable if that's what he said obviously this is the the more lucid joe of the day <laughs> trying to push back on them you know i guess in between is his you know anyway <laughs> the point is i think it's very interesting the handling but also that it's all very clearly about the the Israel discussion. There's a report in the Times of Israel that says Biden officials have indicated to Israel in recent days that if Hezbollah initiates a war against Israel, the U.S. military will join the IDF in fighting the Jews. Basically saying that the U.S. will join if Hezbollah attacks, which could easily be manufactured by Israel if they wanted to do that. Not true. Not true. He says, not true. Mm-hmm. And you see John Kirby shake his head like, It's just so alarming the way that they're so worried about what he's going to say. Not true. Not true. Ah, it is. It is pretty terrifying, though, guys. I mean, what what's happening in the the lack of? I mean, who really knows, right? I mean, who truly knows who's guiding what and who's leading who? It's 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 terrifying. Obviously, it's not Biden. I think that's kind of obvious. But as this goes forward, Netanyahu is going to get, I mean, I, same prediction I made before. He is on the way out. He was before this. Now it seems like everybody's turned against him. And so the only, the, the worst part of it is that shows that they're allowing this genocide to play out before they take action. But that's nothing new. They allowed the Vietnam War to go on for a decade, even though just because they didn't want to be the one to end it and be the failure. Same thing happened in Afghanistan. These are people that are allowing hundreds of thousands of people to die just so they don't have to look stupid. Think about that. These are the people we're dealing with. Now, going back to the beginning of the conversation, you know, what's that going to lead to? What's going to happen in Gaza? Will that be the impetus for something else? You know, there's all these overlapping points. The real alarm, the, the alarming factor of all this for me is that these people are the ones standing up and acting like they're doing all of this on your behalf. Do you think that? Is that the majority of people? I don't believe that. And if we can acknowledge that and somehow make it apparent to other people, what that really does is invalidate their right to rule over you. Now, this gets into a whole other conversation about government and how you know people are so insecure about how their lives will be led without some overarching hand, something we need to get to at some point. But I think what I'm most afraid of is how these things get applied 
in regard to the technology with multifaceted kind of multi, the, the, the different control structures, whether it's foreign countries or different buying powers in this country, the internet, the intelligence apparatus. I mean, everything, there's so uncertain how this could be used, how it could get out, whether, I mean, anything we're talking about, whether it's a biological aspect or nano smart dust or whether it's already happening. I mean, I'm telling you, somebody listening right now thinks we're absolutely crazy. Despite the fact that you can prove literally every part of this in real time being not just discussed research, but being made. I've shown you the symposium on smart dust going back a decade, talking about how this is where we already are. That was a decade ago. We haven't talked about these things in a long time. And now all of a sudden we get injected with nanoparticles. It makes me very uncomfortable. Not saying I mean that I, that I know exactly what that is, but we need to start asking these questions and then ask how these agendas lead into this. And I'll end with kind of the point where I feel that will converge. If we see some kind of an outbreak, especially in a war zone, it's not hard to see how they can push these things into one agenda. All I ask is that you out there question these things and don't be afraid to, to, to wade into these conversations. There's, there's a lot of really wild things out there. Some of which are, are ridiculous. Some of which are completely baseless, but there's no reason you shouldn't have the courage to go. Let's hear, let me hear it. You know, what do you got? What's the data? What's the information? Let's discuss it. Even if it's just for fun. The point is when you're afraid to engage in a certain conversation, that's where they win. And that's used against you. It's the two-party paradigm acting down against everybody. And that's why I think people need to realize how obviously a lot of the people involved in that, I mean, my opinion is always the same. If you're invested in the two-party illusion, whether you know it or not, you're going to mislead people. I think that's obvious. So if you want to support a platform that actively avoids the two-party illusion or any political leanings or even a tie, even labels for that matter actively you know in, a, in an irritatingly objective way and does so at often at our expense well the last american vagabond is for you so underneath the platform or every video we have lots of ways you could support us the donation platform on the website itself and we're raising funds right now for derek's uh next month going to cover the fluoride trial so you could find that as well but in general, just signing up $1 a month on recurring, never think about it again. You, that You are a part of this platform. And we're growing every day, guys. I plan to change it. So thank you for being here. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.